Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're rocking with the most awesome The Carl Nelson Show. Up squad, and thanks for checking in with us again. Later, multi talented researcher Brother Kitty Awadu will take over our classroom. Brother Kitty will examine the Thanksgiving meal through his book, Suicide. Brother Kitty will also update us on the Africa Rising program. Before we hear from Brother Kitty, Native American chief Joseph Nightchase will explain how Native Americans celebrate Thanksgiving. But to get us started, Brother Obi is here. Good morning, Brother Obi. Good morning. How are you doing, Carl? Excellent, brother. How about yourself? Oh, man, you know, anytime we get to wake up healthy to contribute to our people's struggle, that's the best space to be in. Ashe, Ashe to that. Now, you've got a program on for the, for Asada Shakur and the Cuban people. Can you tell us about it? Yes. Um, on Saturday at 7 o'clock East Coast time, the Mass Emphasis Positive Action and Creativity Youth Brigade which is an extension of the Mass Emphasis Children's History and Theater Company, we have a art show, and people will see portraits um, honoring the legacy of Asada Shakur, which is tied into the Asada Shakur Cuba defense campaign, which has three direct objectives. Number one, to get Sister Asada off the United States terrorist list, to get the $2 million bounty lifted from her head, and to get the revolutionary nation of Cuba removed from the State Department's list of nations they are false they falsely accuse of state sponsored terrorism. So in the same way that the civil and human rights movement lean um called on the children during the children's crusade in Birmingham, in the same way that the children took to the streets in Soweto, June sixteenth, nineteen seventy six, demanding our history and culture was infused into the schools there and the tradition of the pioneers of the revolution which the great Thomas Sankara and Burkina Faso put into play, the young people, following the example of Osaji for Dr. Kwame Nkrumah with the Youth Pioneers Institute in Ghana between 1957 and 1966, we call on our children who will bring attention to Sister Asada and the Cuban people's legacy through their art. And this is their second art show since this year. In August, they paid homage to the Henry Reeve Medical Brigade, where they drew portraits of them doing their medical work all over the African continent, all over the Caribbean, and all over the diaspora. So I believe you should have a couple of them on the line line with us this morning. Yeah, we've got Amari. I hope I'm pronouncing the name correctly. Amari. So we've got Amari. So I just want to morning. the opportunity to talk about her art. Good morning. Amari. Yeah, go, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So, um, how do I feel about Asada Shakur? Uh, Asada Shakur is a very potent and inspiring black woman to me. As being a member of a uplifting, successful black army, 
it's very inspiring for me because, especially because she's a black woman. Yeah. Let me ask you, can I ask you this question? How old are you? I'm 14 years old. 14. So you weren't around when Asada, the, the, you know, Asada had to leave the country. Where did you get all the information from, from Amaria? Uh, Where did you get the information about Asada Shakur? Mostly I got the information from Baba Obi and um, reading. Right. And bro- Brother Obi, let me go back to you again, because, you know, f- for the children, for them, this is a learning, not just they're putting on a, a performance, but they're learning, too, about history. Is that the intent? Have we lost Brother Obi? Yeah, no, no, no. What, I'm sorry. What did you, could you say that again, Brother Carl? Yeah, I, I said for, for many of these youngsters, they weren't around when uh, Asada had to uh, go to Cuba. It, for, for them, this is a, a learning issue as well, a learning event for them. Is is that what you were trying to make them understand, teach them our history through what you're doing with this production? There, that's our whole focus. We use um, theater to infuse our history. We use art to infuse the history. And the fact that this year is the 50th anniversary of Sister Asada's um, heroic standoff on the New Jersey Turnpike, where a uh, state trooper shot her and left her for dead, um, and the resilience that she showed going through the uh, prison industrial complex in this country and breaking out. And just understanding um, the ambiance, if you will, that the Panther legacy and the Panther history commands, but building on that. So just showing them that it's not just about learning about Asada, but one day being like her, walking in her footsteps, embracing her responsibility. So bringing the story to life and giving them the opportunity to learn about the character and fighting spirit that best defines not only Sister Asada Shakur, but so many others that walk in their footsteps. So we teach them history so that they're not intimidated by our history, so that they can make a contribution to history. Because we know those who make the most important contributions to history, it's motivated by their interpretation and understanding of history. In the first instance, that it's an obligation to contribute to history. Right, because if we don't teach them, who else will teach them? And, you know, for one, they, they don't want to teach them anything, but they will hear a distorted version of, of what went down. So I'm glad that you were really instilling this information in, in our young people, Brother Obi. And, and before we go back to Amaria, do you have any other projects lined up? Well, yes, um, we're meeting with organizations all over the country um, who are interested in doing an activity centered around Sister Asada and centered around Cuba between now and February 21st of next numerical year, Malcolm X Assassination Day. So people can expect we will keep people up to date. There are some potential sporting events in different parts of the world. There are some potential dancing and drumming celebrations coming up during the Kwanzaa season. 17 universities and six more institutions of learning have approached us about doing teach-ins. So the goal is to have as much activity as possible all over the world. Um, The 55 nations that uh, are home to us all, Mother Africa, and the 70 nations commonly referred to as the diaspora, just giving organizations in the communities where they are to do something centered around um, Sister Asadish legacy and to bring attention to what she's been subjected to, which is once again being labeled a terrorist, having a bounty put on her head. And since the uh, 
terrorist label was put on her by the Obama administration, that is something that our community should feel obligated to confront and address, even if it means confronting him, So, which we should never hesitate to do. So you, um, you have that. And also just showing them, as you mentioned, history. She's not the first. Nelson Mandela, um, who has as many movies as Batman and Superman and Spider-Man and the Planet of the Apes, he was on the terrorist list of the United States all the way up to 2007. So the whole time he was being moved around like a parade float at the Macy's Thanksgiving parade, he was on the terrorist list. For those who know the history of the NAACP, the great Septima Clark was fired after teaching 46 years in these um, schools in South Carolina because she refused to give up her NAACP membership because it was against the law to have a government job and be a member of the NAACP because the NAACP, believe it or not, was once considered a terrorist organization. Every liberation movement that we had to fought for our independence on the African continent was considered a terrorist by the United organization by the United States government, MPLA in Angola, Free Limo in Mozambique, ZANU and ZAPU in Zimbabwe, PAIGC in Guinea-Bissau, Convention People's Party. The Palestinians are considered the terrorists as they seek to liberate themselves from Zionist Israel. So oppressed people who have been kidnapped and displaced or colonized, when they take on organized resistance, they can expect this label. So it's, it's about us breaking this cycle because it's an assault on the best aspect of our culture, because their goal is to demonize or isolate our bravest fighters so that future generations don't walk in their footsteps. So it is cultural warfare at the highest level. Right, ten after the top there. Amaria, what did you teach, tell us what you learned from doing this, uh, playing a, in, a part in this production about Asana Shakur and the Cuban people? Say that again, Brother Carl. I'm sorry. Yeah, ask, ask Amaria if she's still there, if she can tell us what she learned about uh, Asana Shakur and the Cuban people by doing this, by being involved in this production. Amaria? Okay. Yes, I'm here. I'm here. Okay. So, as Asana, like, still to this day has remained a fugitive in Cuba, I honestly, like, find it ridiculous because she only has done things right for the black people and... I feel like, wait, no, I know that every time when black people, like, do something right, it's like Europeans turn it into negativity. So basically, like, turn it upside down. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Brother Obi, you know, this this whole thing with with uh, uh, Asana Shakur, and I can remember in the Black Liberation Army, they didn't trust the, the mainstream media. They, whenever they wanted to send out a message to the people, they sent it to a radio station in Harlem. And uh, I remember watching uh, uh, Walter Conkright in a communique to a black radio station in Harlem because they didn't trust what they, – they, they thought that whatever they said would be twisted. So they mm-hmm. actually worked at the radio station and understood what was going on. They'd, they'd come in early in the morning and they'd throw the manifesto there. And uh, a news director would read it, and then the rest of the news would would pick it up because they didn't trust any, anybody. And this is why mm-hmm. I'm I'm glad that you're doing this because you're you're giving us a chance to really hear the real story of, of what really went down. Because young people and and, and pe- not even young people, but people who did not know went down. They they buy what the mainstream media uh, told them about the Black Liberation Army and Asana Shakur, yeah. what happened on the Jersey Turnpike, all that story. Mm-hmm. But they don't go into the 
how it all started. They go into the end right. product and, and then thereafter, Asada Secure. Mm-hmm. We are coming up on a break, but when we come back, though, I want you to give us the full story because I know that many of us, even adults, are listening and they say, it's, if, the, if the white man's eyes is cold, it's cold. If they said she did this, she must have did that. So she pulled mm-hmm. the trigger and killed some uh, state troopers and some Jersey state troopers, then she deserves a death penalty, you know. But they don't, that's as far as they know about Asada Shakur mm-hmm. for many people, many of our listeners. It's unfortunate. So we, we need to, I need you to, to you know, fill in the, the gaps for us and tell us why you did this production, why she's important that our people know the real mm-hmm. story. Folks, you want to join this conversation? with Brother Obi, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone calls in about four minutes right here at 13 after the top of the hour, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power. Good morning again, family. 19 minutes after the top of the hour with Brother Obi joining us this morning. And Brother Obi's put together a production of our young people discussing the life and times of Asana Shakur and the people in Cuba. We have two of the, the, the young people involved in the production, Amaria and Desta's joined us. But before we hear, go, hear from Desta and Amaria, Brother Obi, for the folks who don't know about Asana Shakur, all they know that she supposedly uh, gunned down some state troopers on the Jersey Turnpike and fled to Cuba. But there's much more. I want you to fill in the backstory because and, and, this will explain why you want our young people to understand Asada Shakur's legacy. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Okay, well, it, of course, it's tied to the Panther legacy. So we got to take it, Brother Carl, back to 1965, because the common perception is that the Black Panther for, Party for Self-Defense started in Oakland in 1966 as the first Black Panther Party. However, it's not. It starts in Lowndes County, Alabama in 1965, and it's a project of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. The reason that that's important to begin this story is because Lowndes County was considered the most dangerous, violent place to do voter registration and other civil-slash-human rights campaigns. And the people in Lowndes County, after they chose the Black Panther as the symbol, because they were being coerced because of the literacy issue to um, vote for people, a sheriff, a tax collector, who were not part of their community. And they needed their own party because the Democratic Party symbol was a rooster for white supremacy. So they decided they confronted um, the when they went to vote, they had to take arms and they had to arm themselves because the White Citizens Council was there to intimidate them. So it ushered in. Um, and that was the first time in a place that violence since four years before that in Monroe, North Carolina. Robert Williams started preparing our people militarily to deal with the 15,000-member paramilitary army 
that they had. And then you had the deacons for defense. So you started having all over this country an aggressive uh, militant approach to organizing where we would defend ourselves. So Asada Shakur and the New York chapter of the Black Panther Party, the second chapter of the Black Panther Party for self um, to come about, they realized that they needed to do this. But to their credit, they were also studying the liberation movements on the African continent. In 1966, Namibia begins its armed struggle. In 1966, Zimbabwe begins its armed struggle, and it's called the second Chimurenga, Chimurenga meaning revolution. Guinea-Bissau is involved in their armed struggle. We had just seen um, Algeria win an armed struggle eight years. The Vietnam War is taking place where the Vietnamese are defending their nation through arms. So people are understanding that Brother Malcolm is correct when he says by all means necessary, where Dr. King, all due respect to him, felt that nonviolence was a sacred principle that could not be compromised, not attacked it. So by the time the New York um, chapter of the Black Panther Party starts the Black Liberation Army, they're openly identifying with these armed struggles in Southern Africa. And so what ends up happening is they start to be accused of carrying out terrorist acts. And they target Asada Shakur because she's a woman. They target Dr. Matulu Shakur because not only is he a first-rate organizer, but he's teaching our people acupuncture and help and beginning to deal with the um, drug addiction issue where heroin was very prevalent in Harlem. So they're dealing with the social needs of the masses of our people. But they maintained a position that we must have a nation within North America because she ends up being connected to the Republic of New Africa as well. And they are raising the issue of education. They are raising the issue of health care. So the fact that they reached a conclusion politically that they should we can defend ourselves against fascism, against genocide, against naked police terrorism, that made them a threat. So the decision to try to assassinate her, because it was an assassination attempt, she was shot in the back. So this is something very important. Then she was handcuffed. Then she was tortured. And if it wasn't for Cuba, we would be having free Mumia, free Assad Shakur rallies right now. And one of the reasons that Cuba is on the terrorist list for people who don't know or they don't contextualize this, Senator Menendez is represents the state of New Jersey. And amongst his constituents are his main constituents are the New Jersey state troopers and the FBI office in the state of New Jersey, who are always pressuring him to come to uh, Washington, to come up on the Hill and to continue to maintain this hostile policy towards Cuba. Asada Shakur is at the center of it. That's why we wanted to distinguish our work where we were saying we're not only fighting with millions of people all over the world to get Cuba off the list of nations falsely accused of state-sponsored terrorism by the United States, but we know at the heart of the matter, at the root of the matter, is the fact that they're protecting Asada Shakur with the same fervor that they went to Angola and fought with us for 14 years, the same way they fought with us in Mozambique and Guinea-Bissau, and were willing to send 100 of their best fighters to the Congo to bring Patrice Lumumba's Congolese national movement back to power, but it was the Congolese who didn't want to fight. So Asada Shakur's story is connected to the conclusion that our people collectively came up with on the front line 
We would march and demonstrate when necessary, but we would arm ourselves when necessary. All right, uh, 25 of the top. Now, you mentioned Senator Bob Menendez. He's got his own problems with Egypt and his new wife. But also, he's, he's Cuban-American. And the Cuban-Americans, uh, they, they're against the, what's, the people who are running Cuba right now. Would, do you think that was part of the motivation for going after this Cuba and Assange Shakur? This is the 40th anniversary of the found creation of the Cuban-American National Foundation which was bankrolled by the Reagan administration to finally try to use Miami to carry out what they couldn't in 1961. You had the Bay of Pigs invasion where the CIA invaded Cuba with hopes of overthrowing the revolution. They were defeated in three days. For the next 22 years, they put their ideas together and they wanted to have a group in Miami that would be political in nature, but at the same time, they were openly training terrorist groups, two of them in particular, Brothers to the Rescue and Alpha 66, who are responsible for 90% of the 635 assassination attempts on the life of Comandante Fidel Castro. Also on November 25th, when we're doing this Asada Shakur Cuba art tribute, it's the seventh anniversary of the passing of Comandante Fidel Castro, who many of us on the front line consider the modern-day John Brown. So, yes, um, what Menendez is doing on the Democratic side is carrying out the legacy of John F. Kennedy, whose initial push was to militarily invade Cuba, but it failed. When they were unsuccessful in that, then came the monstrous blockade one numerical year later in 1962, which is now 61 years old which has cost Cuba over nearly $160 billion in lost resources that would go towards their educational system, 100% literacy, free education for everyone, which would go towards their healthcare system that is so awesome that they have the luxury of sending 57 brigades to 40 nations during the genocidal corona pandemic. So the blockade is an extension of the tradition of this country of going to destroy nations and the tradition of Julius Caesar, which is a staple of European imperialist tradition. All right. All right. Thank you. For, yeah, you you laid the groundwork right there for folks. Not everybody's up on, on what you're just uh, talking about and understand that because they only get the one side of the story. That's why I wanted you to provide connect the dots and give us the sure. other side of the story at 27 after the top. Yeah, Desta is on line three. Desta, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. First of all, how old are you? I'm 14. 14 okay and, and tell us about your 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 part in this production for Asada Shakur and the Cuban people so for this production I'm creating um, art pieces to um, connect her story to other guerrilla fighters um, around the world right she's, she's definitely one part of the resistance and there were some who complied with, with the, the oppression and there were some who fought against the resistance some still had to be doing it right now and still, some are still complying but did you learn anything from this production of, about Asana Shakur and the Cuban people yes I've learned a lot um, learned a lot about her story and how she fought um, continuously even through all the oppression all the um, hardship that she went through, all the discrimination and brutality she went through, she continued to fight, and um, her principles stayed the same when she was fighting. 
the new African people were at the forefront of everything she did, and she did everything that she could to um, help liberate help liberate them. Um, so that speaks strength, and that's what I learned from Asada Shakur. Amaria, uh, your your question: Could you see yourself being Asada Shakur? Could you, you know, drop yourself into that time zone? and do what she did, or is it something out of reach for you? How do you see that? Well, me loving my people, I could definitely see myself in the past as a secure. I can't, I can't really imagine what she'd been through, but I know she continuously fought and she loved her people to the point where she wouldn't stop. So, yes, definitely I can see myself as a shot of secure. 30 minutes after the top air, brother, brother, Obi, this is what they, this is what they, they don't want to happen for you to put on a production like this. And the young people idolize Asada Shakur, your response to that. That's the goal, because one of the things that we take for granted is, um, first of all, our history of struggle for liberation. It's a history of people who were exceptions to the rule. A very crucial part of the decolonization process is to make the exception the norm and the norm the exception. So we want to make Asada Shakur the norm. And in order to do that, the message that must be conveyed to our young people and transmitted through knowledge is they can be more significant as contributors, even if they're not as well known. So the fact that Amaria and Desta and Zinzi and Ethan and Taye these are the five children whose arts will be on display on Saturday evening. The fact that they're comfortable looking at the work that someone of Asada Shakur's caliber did and is still doing for our people, and they're comfortable with that, embracing that fighting spirit, that's what we want them to do. We don't just want them to be experts on her, but we would like them to expand on the work she did. And in order to do that, they must not be intimidated by her history as awesome as it is. They must be more inspired than intimidated. Right. And that begs the question, did you get any pushback from anyone who says, why are you teaching these young, young people about Asada Shakur? Why are you teaching them about Cuba? They're probably they're trying to brainwash them into supporting communism and socialism. Did you get any kind of pushback like that? No, never. Um, at, least not, at least not out in the open. But we're sure. Well, one thing the cowards always do is they whisper. So, but um, outright, no, um, nothing but encouragement, nothing but encouragement, and apologies from people who eventually want their children to become part of the theater company, who want them to become part because this brigade. This is what the most beautiful thing about it. We ask the children when they come into uh, the theater company or they come into our class on Saturdays, what type of skills, what type of talents do you have? So if they dance, if they do photography, if they can draw, if they can paint, if they can sing, if they write poetry, if they do sculpture, whatever talents they have, then we try. And then the goal is to, to create projects like this where their talents are front and center, reinforcing what we've always believed on the path to revolution, that the human being is the most precious resource. 
All right, we got to take our first look at the news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. When we come back, though, I want you to spell out what what are we going to see this this weekend? How you know? Just tell us what the production is going to be like with these young people and how you came to how you put it all together because there's a lot of information about Asada Shakur and the Cuban people, and you've got to cram it into a certain time space and so it'll make sense. So and these young people can relate to it as well. So I want you to detail that when we get back. As I mentioned, we're going to step aside and get caught up on the latest news, traffic, and weather. We'll be back in four minutes, though, right here at. 26 before the top of the hour in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB, also in the DMV around FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. And good morning again, family. 21 minutes away from the top of the hour with Brother Obi. Brother Obi is doing a, put on a production about for Asana Shakur and the uh, Cuban people and two of the young people who are involved in this production with us, Amaria and Desta. Before we go back to them, though, uh, let me remind you, coming up later this morning, we're going to speak with Brother Keedy, multi-talented researchers who talk about uh, suicide, the Thanksgiving meal and suicide, and also update us on the African Rising program. But before we hear from Brother Keedy, Native American Chief Joseph Nightchase will explain how Native Americans celebrate Thanksgiving. And uh, tomorrow is Friday, and we'll give you another chance to free your mind in our Open Phone Friday program, again, promptly at 6 a.m. Eastern Time, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB, also in the DMV around FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. So, Brother Obi, before we left for the news, traffic, and weather update, my question to you was, can you lay out what we're going to see this weekend? Okay. um, You're going to see portraits of art paying homage to Asada Shakur and the Cuban people by five teenagers, Amaria Hill, Desta Nzinzi Okunula, young sister named Taye, and Ethan Smith. He would be the oldest one. He's a senior at Gwen Park High School here in the Prince George's County area. So you're going to see anywhere between 10 to 20 pieces of art. And for those of you who saw their art in August when they paid homage to the Henry Reed Medical Brigade for their work throughout the world, you know that the art was impeccable. And I think that it's even going to be better. So I'd like to just turn it over to Desta and Amaria to discuss exactly what their offerings will look like, exactly what pieces they're focusing in on. All right, let's start with Amaria on line two. Amaria, what, what's your focus? What's your production like? My focus mainly with my art is to inspire other young black um, ladies like me because um, I have been self-taught, like a self-taught artist for most of my life, challenging myself daily, and making portraits that look exactly like me. Um, My art is like a reflection of myself, my ancestors, and my African-centered education. And... um, uh, And and that's a great answer. specifically, Specifically highlight the pieces that people can expect to see from you on Saturday. Okay. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. That's okay. Um, hmm. I am going to draw Asada Shakur and basically highlight her mostly because of the things she done. And, um, and, um, 
and Harriet Tubman too, because they worked together and communicated. They just have done like great things, things like that. All right, let's go to Desta then. Desta, what's your production going to be like? Um, so the art I'm dedicating to this art show is Akata Shakur um, and Lita LeBron. Lita LeBron is a Puerto Rican um, activist and guerrilla fighter. He was Akata um, Shakur's role model, one of Akata Shakur's role models. And that's why I'm drawing them both together. Um, also... Um, Asada Shakur and Umbuya Nehanda. She's from Zimbabwe. She was a rebel in Zimbabwe and a guerrilla fighter. And I'm connecting their story as well. And I'm also connecting um, Asada Shakur with the RBG flag. Um, I show the history and the importance of both of, both of them in that portrait. Um, that's what I have so far. All right. And you know what? <laughs> My sister, Jenny, from the art school. She's here, too. Okay, let's talk to her. Hi, good morning. Uh, Tell us about your production. Okay, well, I did multiple portraits, but one is I did a portrait of Asai Shakur with Kwame Ture. A lot of people don't know, but they met and they collaborated and did some very great work for the Black Panther Party. So I want to show that into my work. And I also did a portrait of Asada Shakur and Sojourner Truth. You know, they have a connection because um, Sojourner Truth escaped from the plantation to freedom, and Asada Shakur escaped from the nowadays plantation, which is prison, to also freedom, and her freedom, which was in Cuba at the time. So I have other works, but for... For my work, it shows that different sides of the side of Shakur that a lot of people don't know. Like, for instance, I'll also be doing a, a drawing of her as a youth, you know, as her as a kid. And I want to show people the side of the side of Shakur that they don't know unless they read the book. That's pretty much what my art represents. All right. You, you know what, Brother Obi, I'm just thinking about these youngsters their contemporaries don't know what they are doing or what, or, or, you know, unless they have parents like these young people have parents or around you to know our history. How important is it for you to get this, this message across to all our young people? Um, by continuing to have activities like this, that people see, you know, Carl, um, sometimes we get caught up into a narrative rooted in victimization so let so for example, if people are talking about Chicago or Baltimore or Detroit, they'll talk about the blue collar crime wave, but they won't talk about the different organizational and institutional vehicles that our people have created from the bottom up that are out there seeking solutions to the uh, variety of problems that we face as a people. So we feel that every time we get exposure, we thank you for uh, allowing us to have this platform so that people can hear what we're doing, see what we're doing, and we challenge them to take part in what we're doing. And for us, um, equally as important as building the Mass Emphasis Children's History and Theater Company, the Mass Mass Emphasis Positive and Action Creativity and Youth Brigade, I offer everyone who's listening and will hear the recording later to bring their children to our history classes on Saturday. We have three. We have one, all of them are virtual. We have one with young people in the Connecticut, Rhode Island area 
from 10 to 11 East Coast time. The, the class that these beautiful children that you're hearing this morning are in, that's from 3 to 4 East Coast time. And then our final classes with kids in Canada, in Calgary, and Alberta from 5 to 6. So we make those outlets available to people so that they can have something that they can channel their children toward, where we're not only giving them quality exposure to our history, but we focus in particular on our history of resistance. And not only that, we identify their skills and talents so we can have projects that will exist for an eternity that people will be able to look back at. So um, that's all we do. And um, so before people go into the laundry list of problems that our children are confronted with, we just want them to know that we have some empowering vehicles at their disposal that we would like them to take advantage of for the benefit of us collectively. And, and you know what, at uh, 12 away from the top of the hour, what you're doing is so extraordinary, especially in these times, because so many of our the books about us and information about us are being banned in the schools. And here you have young children, they, they, they circumvent that ban because they're going to learn about stuff that they wouldn't have been taught. Uh, and they probably wouldn't even taught. If there was a ban, they probably wouldn't have been taught about Asada Shakur, about what's going on in Cuba, and all the other plays and pro- projects that you put on. So you you fill that that gap, whereas you know some of these folks who are trying to keep our culture and our history away from us, you, you're at least letting our young people get firsthand knowledge. And the way that you're doing it, I got to congratulate you on that because they're involved, personally involved. They they have an investment into the product. They're not just you know just not reciting. Uh, lines they get involved in so it kind of it will stick in their brain for for years to come and they can pass it on down the line to their generations is that the goal that you you started out to achieve brother you you just articulated the decolonization process Uh, the the children feel empowered and um it's a level of comfort and they're comfortable enough with the uh narrative and um they will transform um into servants and fighters for the people that is the goal so, um, and they seem to be well on their way. We've been doing this work about 13 years now, and this is arguably the most complete and most committed group of children that I've had the privilege of working with. And you have to thank the parents for that. So, um, shout out to the Hill family and the Okunola family, the Smith family, and um, our sister, young sister Taye, who I believe is 12 years old. She's the newest addition. So um, the fact that these parents are completely open and completely humble and are embracing of what we're doing, that inspires us to keep going. So our goal is to build branches of mass emphasis everywhere and build relationships with other vehicles that are doing the same thing. Like, um, And we went to St. Croix this summer. We had the honor of opening up the uh, Caribbean Studies Associations Conference. And one of the highlights of being there for one week is we established a relationship with a group called Theater of the Oppressed, which is a children's uh, theatrical vehicle right there in St. Croix. And understanding that this is the 50th anniversary of the passing of Amy Shaw Garvey, the Honorable Marcus Mosiah Garvey's second wife, who spent a lot of quality time in St. Croix, we were just happy to make that connection. We are connected with the Thomas Sankara Children's Institute in Burkina Faso. We're connected with um, through the Friends of the Congo, um, some young people in the Congo. We're connected to young people in Liberia. We're connected to the People's School in Ghana out of a place called Kasawa. 
which is arguably the most important work being done in Ghana right now for children, using Osajifo Dr. Kwame Nkrumah's books as the foundation for the curriculum. So um, we're connected to um, folks on the ground in Haiti who put on one of our plays that we did just for Haiti about the Parsley Massacre last year. So we're just continuing to make these meaningful connections and to give these young people the chance to be the beneficiaries of those connections. So it's not just about the knowledge, but it's just about the service as well. All right. Nine away from the topic. I got to ask you this since you, you, you're international and you work with our young people. And, and most of us think that, you know, because they're in Haiti or they're in Burkina Faso or, or they're in Chicago, that they have different different dreams and different hopes and different desires. Have you found that, that there's a, 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 a common thread amongst all our young people internationally? We all want to be liberated. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy, juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. <laughs> we all want to be liberated. We know we're not because we're not liberated till all of us are free. So we all want to be liberated. And you, hear, you heard these young people today. And um, so that, yeah, we all want to be liberated. Just to, to answer that is simple as possible yeah because we find that in adults you know we, we we got listeners on the continent in the caribbean in the uk and they're always tweeting and, and information they say same problems you guys got we got them here too and i just wanted to know if, if it was at the level of the youngsters as well well yeah i mean once they uh i mean look we have a child who as part of our class that was in trinidad and her family relocated to Kenya. And, you know, that's like nine hours ahead. This child stays up just so that she can be part of the class on Saturday. Thanks to um, Desta and Zinzi's um, father and mother, they've arranged for children in the Congo to be part of our class. So for the past three weeks, we've had like 14, 15 children from the Democratic Republic of the Congo who uh, are part of the class on Saturdays. So um, once the people get exposure to the vehicles, they empower the vehicles and we maximize potential as organizers. So that's what we're just going to continue to do. We'll let people talk about the problems while we find solutions to the problems. All right. Hold that thought right there. We've got to take another short break and check the traffic and weather in our different cities and the news for our listeners in Baltimore. Seven minutes away from the topic. I'll be back in four minutes with Brother Obi right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also on the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. Information is power. Good again, family. Minute after the top of the hour with Brother Obi and some, some members of his cast of his production. He's doing a production this weekend for Asana Shakur and the Cuban people. If you'd like to talk about it, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Brother Obi, Howard's joining us from Los Angeles. He has a comment or a question for you. Good morning, Howard. He's on line four, by good, the way. 
Oh, thank you for taking my call, Carl. I hope everybody's doing fine. I want to comment a couple of things. I saw a documentary on History Channel years ago, and it was talking about the Cuban Revolution. And they had a, a rally, a victory rally, one of the, of the stadiums in Havana, and it released a flock of doves. And one of the doves came and landed right on Fidel Castro's left shoulder. And the crowd just said, ooh, you know, they're, they're religious African sinner people. And that meant something like the spirits with uh, Castro. It had to be because they, every other day they tried to kill him, and he escaped all of his died a natural death. And now the question I have is uh, uh, you, you said you have a, a – uh, uh, doing something in the Congo as well. Uh, is there a language barrier there? Because they speak French there as, a, as the European language. So I want to know how how you have how, what kind of interpreters you have it or anything like that. All right, um, you're Thanks, um, yeah, hi, thank you, Howard. Um, he's correct. Uh, the French were colonized by the. I mean, the Congolese were colonized by both the French and the Belgians. But as the years have gone by, they've picked up English. So um, they're able to translate what we do both in French and in Lingala, which is one of their main languages. And um, when we did our play about Paul Robeson this summer, Carl, y'all understand exactly what I'm saying. Uh, The children in the Congo participated by doing a poem in Lingala. So they speak enough English where they're able to convey what we do through translation, both in their colonial language, French, and their indigenous language, Lingala. All right, Howard. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. And that begs the question, uh, Howard, I thank you for that question, because now you're doing something about Assange Shakur in, in Cuba. Has there been any events to, to get this so the folks on the Cuban island can see what's going on? They will definitely, as soon as the production is over, um, it will be sent to the Cuban embassy in Washington and the, the admission of the United Nations in New York. And yes, it will find its way to Havana. Uh, we work very closely with them. As a matter of fact, um, 19 years ago, I was under FBI investigation because of my interaction with the Cuban diplomats in Washington, D.C. So, yes, we still work. And all that did is make us work with them closer. Uh, we, we will not be intimidated by our former colonizers and captors. So, um, yeah, so we definitely have a very um, strong relationship with them. I am also I am also the external relations officer of the Zimbabwe Cuba Friendship Association, which is an association that was created to cement relationships between the everyday people in Cuba and Zimbabwe, which has resulted in between 1986 and 1996, 3,000 Zimbabwean teachers went to Cuba for training. And they are the foundation and bedrock of an educational system that boasts a 97% literacy rate, the highest on the African continent. So, yeah. All right. And then another question for you. Do you get any pushback from the State Department of what you're doing? Because, you know, we're not supposed to be doing anything with Cuba. We're supposed to be you know, adhering to the, the administration's to my, to my isolating not, Cuba. To my knowledge, no, but I think they know us well enough to know that any attempt to coerce or intimidate us will only result in even more contributions. And we're under no illusions. Uh, We're oppressed fighting to be liberated. So the oppressor um, will overreact, react, initiate on the offensive a multitude of things. In the spirit of Asada Shakur, we just have to count on our resolve and the fighting spirit that has produced so many great fighters on the front line. The enemy stops nothing. 
All right. And, and, and tell us again, before we let you go, I want to speak to all the three that are on the line with us because we got the Native American chief, Joseph Nightchase, waiting for us. But uh, Brother Obi, when, uh, let me start with Amari first. Amari, what are your final words? What do you want people to see when they come out to, to this production? Okay. Amaria? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So definitely I want them to know that Asada Shakur is not a terrorist. She is just like every other African-American who stood up for us. She, she is trying to, um, you know, fight our people and things like that. I also want to say thank you for having me, Baba Carl, and thank you, Baba Obi, for the knowledge you have installed in me and other African children so I can pass it on to my other family who hasn't, who doesn't have the conscience like me. And thank you. Uh, thank you. I shade to you, young sister. Desta, your thoughts. What do you want people to go away with that from seeing your performance, your part of the project? Uh, I want people to um, now be able to relate a Sarasakura story to other uh, guerrilla fighters around the world. I want them to see that, like, we're not, our stories are, like, not alone. We always connect with other people. Um, we always have, like, similarities with other people. And I want people to recognize the significance of the art, of how we put that into um, our art. That's what I'm for this All right, Ashe. And thank you, young people, for getting involved in this. And Brother Obi, give us the details. How can folks watch? How can people participate in this program? And by the way, I, the poster that we you sent got rave reviews. A lot of posted on social media, and a lot of people loved yeah, it. So and, shout, and shout out up to, to um, and, and once again, Carl, this answers the question you had earlier. That beautiful poster was designed by a parent of one of our children. A young young lady named Yamaya, who's 13 years old, her her bro, her father, brother Onyeku, um, designed that um, flyer and will now be our new graphic arts person. He's amazing, and um, people can get and the link is very small on that poster, so we're going to repost it again so that people can see that. So people can come to at o b i e g b u n a one five on Instagram. Or go to at J R E G B U N A on Twitter, or email me at O B I E G B U N A one five at gmail dot com, and um, please do it by five o'clock East Coast time because when we're getting ready to go into the program, being bombarded with stuff about the link that can be uh, a distraction. So we'll get everybody what they need. And Brother Carl, in addition to giving us this platform, thank you so much for promoting um, the effort on your Facebook page. That is so much appreciated. And I think um, you spoke to Desta. Did Zinzi have something that she wanted to say about what we can expect tomorrow before we get out there? Yes, I yeah, did. Go ahead. Yeah, go so, ahead. Okay. Well, something that I, my artwork shows is that Asajj Shakur is is a superhero you know the decisions that she made for us is something way more powerful than anything that marvel puts or dc puts on television besides shakur is a real superhero for black girls and young black boys what she did and what what she did and 
her story. So that's what my artwork is going to show for Shadow Shakur. Uh, and congratulations to all you young people because you've taken the first step of, in knowing thyself. You, you already ahead of the game and ahead of most adults who are still trying to figure out who they are in the society. You, you young people have figured out who you are and what your your purpose is, and you're already doing it. And so I just want to thank you and I want to thank Brother Obi again for for showing you the way. Brother Obi, one more time, how folks can can is be part of this production at what time and give us the link again, or they can reach seven o'clock East Coast. 7 o'clock East Coast time Saturday. So after you've watched the football games and after you've enjoyed the time with your family, come and watch these young people put the finishing spin on your extended weekend. You can get the information on Instagram at O-B-I-E-G-B-U-N-A-1-5, Twitter at J-R-E-G-B-U-N-A, email O B I. E-G-B-U-N-A-1-5 at gmail.com. So through those three vehicles, try to get um, your request in to get the link by 5 o'clock East Coast time on Saturday the 25th because by around 6.15, we're getting we're in production mode, putting the finishing touches on the program. And these young people are going to recite a poem uh, about the Sada Shakur. So that's another bonus. So we expect to see a lot of people there. It's virtual. You will see Asada Shakur honored artistically like you've never seen her honored before. And you will see Cuba properly embraced by African people right here in North America. So we thank you, Brother Carl. Long live Asada Shakur. Long live Cuba. And um, long live the spirit of our indigenous sisters and brothers as our hearts are with them today. And we're thankful for that relationship. Thank you, Brother Obi, and thanks for working with our young people as well. Thank you. Uh, as Brother Obi, Amara, Zesta, Desta with us, all these young people who are taking a part in this, the An African Children's Art Show honoring Asada Shakur and the Cuban people on Friday. On Saturday, actually, let me correct myself here. 11 after the top of the hour, Joseph Knight Chase, good morning. Welcome to the program. Is Joseph there on line six? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Go ahead. Good morning, sir. Hello, my name is uh, Chief Joseph Chasing Horse, relative of uh, Night Chase. I, uh, oh. first of all, want to uh, thank you for uh, giving this opportunity, this honor to uh, speak on this uh, radio station today. And I'd like to just, uh, first of all, began in my own traditional language, a short prayer of thanksgiving for everyone that's listening here today. Tugashla wakantanka, apetukile ake tohonkika, wopila tanka ichiche, oheche ake wichozani, na wichoni wa uyakupi, ileheche. Tokata hiche ake apetumaji, skawichasha, ziwichasha, sapawichasha, ona shawichasha, kilini yuha, leche apetumaji, wola kota, yuha mani pikte, a ushichahui chapi to kashila. Takia topa kilena, wakantaka, nakutaka uchimaka, ahituona, apetukile. Won't you want to be a copy? 
mitaku oyase, all my relations. I want to just say I extend. Uh, well, Chief, hold that, hold that thought right there, Chief. We've got to take a short break here. We've got to check the traffic and weather when you come back. And when you come back, though, uh, I want you to just tell us what you said in the language and then explain the language of what you said in that prayer. 800-450-7876, family. We're going to find out how Native Americans celebrate Thanksgiving with uh, Chief Joseph Ch- uh, Chasey Horse. I hope I've got him that correctly. And we'll take your calls for you if you want to get in on this conversation. Four minutes right here at 14 after the top of the hour in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, we're information is power. And good morning again, family. 20 minutes after the top of the hour with our guest, the Native American chief, Joseph Chasing Horse. He's going to tell us how Native Americans feel about uh, this day, Thanksgiving Day. Uh, chief Chasing Horse, before we left for the traffic and weather updates, you, you said a prayer. Can you tell us in English and what language that was first? And then can you tell us in English what, you, what, what was the prayer about? Yes, uh, Lakota people, we believe that every day is Thanksgiving. And uh, I called out to the four winds and to the Creator and to Mother Earth to look down upon the creation and to have pity on us and to bring us together with one mind and one prayer and one people in one planet that we all share and that we all live upon. So I called upon the four winds, the Almighty, and our grandmother, the Earth, to acknowledge us as we give thanks today for the life that has been given since the beginning and to the end. And I pray for all the four races, the yellow, the black, the white, and the red that inhabit this earth, that there will be a come a time someday that there will be peace, there will be love, there will be balance, there will be harmony. Thank you, Creator for all that you have provided the blessings of life. All my relations. All right. 22 after the top, uh, uh, Native American Chief Joseph Chasing Horse is our guest. You know, what we have, from school, we've been taught about the pilgrims, and this is what Thanksgiving is all about. And for many of us that grew up, that's what it was. We're celebrating Thanksgiving, and, you know, with the backdrop of the pilgrims in, in the background coming here first at Plymouth Rock. How do Native Americans feel about the, that story? And is that story the correct story? Well, there are many uh, uh, historical events that had taken place in the last uh, over 500 years in which uh, set the stage for a thing that we call, you call history, but we interpret as his story. It's not our story. 
It's his story. His story. And so we must understand as indigenous people that all we have contributed to the growth of this country and to the growth of the world For when they landed upon our shores, they did not know what democracy was. True democracy. And it was only until they landed upon our shores and they researched and studied the governing ways of the indigenous people particularly the six nations of the Iroquois, the Longhouse. It was from there, them that they learned democracy, a form of democracy in which we practice, we all practice today. And they formed, wrote the Constitution in in a way in which they took out the women's right to vote. They took out the sacred, the separation of church and state. And so to this day, they are exercising this form of democracy that indigenous people practice and held, hold sacred for thousands and thousands of years. And now that form of democracy has spread out throughout the world. And so it's from this place that you call America, that today, to this day, the Lakota people, we know it as the heart of all that is. And a grandfather seven generations ago, his name was Crazy Horse. They are carving a huge monument of him today that is five times larger than Mount Rushmore. But Crazy Horse prophesied Seven generations ago, he said, upon suffering beyond suffering, the indigenous people shall rise again, and it shall be a blessing for a sick world, for it will be a world full of selfishness, separations, and disease. It will be a world that will be longing to see the light again. He said, I foresee a time of seven generations when the whole earth shall be made one circle again and all the colors of mankind from all walks of life, from every corner of the earth, they shall gather here under the sacred tree of life here in the heart of all that is.
And there will be a time when great knowledge and great balance and harmony shall return again. I see a time of seven generations. Long after the waters have become bad smelling and the skies have become dark and ugly. I see a time when the whole earth shall be made one circle again. So there are many prophecies such as Crazy Horse who foretold of a time that was coming in which we face today. And some of the greatest... McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Yes. Hold that thought right there because I've got a question. A caller has a question for you. Uh, our guest is Joseph Chasing uh, Horse. He's a Native American chief, and they sell, they don't celebrate Thanksgiving like, you know, we're going to celebrate or some of you are going to celebrate today. That's why he's here with us this morning. Sister Sabrina is on line one calling from Washington, D.C., has a question for you. Sister Sabrina, good morning. Yes, good morning, Carl, and good morning to the uh, brother uh, chief, um, um, uh, is the uh, the guest this morning, and also to everyone, um, and support you know that people look at it as as what the chief said earlier as far as gathering and think Thanksgiving, we should be doing that every day rather than just one day. And from what I understand is that I think is it the next day or is considered or or usually like in Plymouth up in Massachusetts when I remember Dick Gregory was saying that there would be the day of mourning up there on this day, as you know, um, as many people recognize the genocide that has taken place. Um, Just recently we had the Indian collective that was here in Washington, D.C. for to lobby for the rights of the indigenous community. And they met with Cori Bush, um, the, uh, the congressman. And then they also were here before uh, with the case of the um, political prisoner, uh, Leonard Peltier. And I would encourage all listeners and everyone to please contact the White House the next uh, workday, business day, and say that he's, he's probably one of the longest being held in prison at this point. And he needs to be re- uh, released. I remember in, I guess, what was in the 90s or the 80s? I can't remember. But um, when I used to be on the defense uh, committee with Bobby Castillo, and that was an issue then, and it should be an issue now. But 
uh, I have been taught that we should consider this as a day of mourning for the um, genocide. And it's kind of hard to tell people that, you know, when they've been brainwashed to get out and do gobble gobble day and buy up all the turkeys and eat and everything. But the um, the real um, meaning is the is the Thanksgiving of family being together, you know, should be um, idolized, uh, realized on that. And then plus, um, many of us that are African American, many of us have. Um, indigenous in our um in our family and they, and you know many people do recognize that as such as aunt Hatcher who's the grandson uh great grandson of um of of oh gosh what is his name up in um Harlem um up in Harlem I can't remember his name right now but um that uh, Dr. Small, with his uh, program that he does on, on TV, um, his great-grandson uh, is in Florida and always acknowledges about the root of um, they had of Native American in their in their family. Um, uh, Johnson. I'll tell you what. Yeah, because we're coming up on a break, Sister Sabrina. So I'm going to let you go because you put a lot on, on the uh, the chief's place, and I want him to get a chance to respond to some of the issues that you, you presented this morning. Folks, if you're just you, joining the us. Last, the last question go ahead, is, real quick. Uh, how is Chief Knight or Knight or Wolf doing? All right. Uh, I'll let him respond after, after the break. Thank, thank, thank you, Sister you. Sabrina. So more people want to talk to you, Chief. 800-450-7876. We're discussing uh, our Native American uh, brother, Chief Joseph Chasing Horses, with us this morning, discussing how Native Americans feel about this particular day. Because, we, you know, as I mentioned, we were taught by the pilgrims coming to save everybody, and they landed on Plymouth Rock, uh, uh, Sister Sabrina said. But that's not, that's not how they see it. <laughs> that's not the truth. So he's going to come back, and he'll explain that to us after we take a quick look at the news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. We're back in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 10. 10 WOLB, also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. Good morning again, family. 21 minutes away from the top of the hour with Native American Chief Joseph Chasing Horse discussing how Native Americans uh, celebrate if they do today call Thanksgiving. What are your thoughts? 800-450-7876. Before we go back to him, just a reminder that Brother Keaty is going to join us later this morning. He's going to examine the Thanksgiving meal through his book, Suicide, uh, and also update us on the Africa Rising program. And tomorrow, of course, Friday, we'll give you another chance to free your mind, think for yourself, and reach out to us in our Open Phone Friday program. We begin promptly at 6 a.m. Eastern Time right here in Baltimore on 1010 WLB. Also, we're on the DMV and FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. Uh, uh, Chief Chasing Horse, uh, Sister Sabrina put a lot on your plate, so just pick whatever you want to respond to and appreciate it. Got some other folks want to talk to you. Yeah, I appreciate those questions. Uh, it's very important for us to educate ourselves about our historical as well as our uh, present future. And uh, yes, you know, uh, there are recorded uh, historical events of Thanksgiving, of the first Thanksgiving. And one of our uh, our elders explained to us that one of the very first Thanksgiving was uh, out on the eastern uh, seaboard or eastern coast uh, among uh, many of the uh, 
uh, Indian uh, indigenous nations that no longer exist. There are Indian na- indigenous nations that don't no longer exist uh, because of the last 500 years of events that took place, whether it was through uh, uh, genocidal acts, massacres, diseases. There are that totally wiped out many of our uh, tribal indigenous nations, and. Uh, during that time when they uh, they came and they, uh, from what the ancestors say, that they really didn't know how to uh, uh, grow food. Uh, there was a lot of things that they, they when they landed upon the shores, they were, they were uh, some of the first boat people that uh, were starving and, and, and so forth. So the indigenous people helped them and uh, taught them not only how to uh, agricultural, uh, uh, many uh, environmental, uh, many awareness uh, of how to take care of the earth and instructed them. Uh, and, And so they learned many things from the indigenous people, not only how to govern themselves, you know, but they learned uh, many, many things while they, after they, that first encounter. But they tell us that uh, they were taking in, they, all the tribal members were taken into a log house and they were all uh, supposed to have a feast and they took them in there and they, they locked them in this huge log house and they set the place on fire. And then they celebrated after annihilating all these tribal people, then they celebrated their Thanksgiving. So that's... Uh, well, let me jump in and ask you this, Chief. Having that story as a backdrop, and they've probably been taught to that growing up, how do you feel about white people now? Do you, can you do you feel trust, or, or is this something in the past, or something historical, or something you've gotten over? How do you feel about them when you have to deal with them on a daily basis? Well, I feel that there's a lot of awareness today of, of what is what had happened and uh, the history and the present. There is a lot of, uh, uh, of cultural awareness that's happening today uh, in the awakening of these historical events. And, and we feel that, I feel that there is a, uh, a harmony. There's a balance that's coming about in, in the 500 years of uh, separations and, uh, <clears throat> and these, uh, what we feel, what we know as racist policies. And so we feel there's a greater uh, awareness that's growing now. And especially here in, in, in America and uh, of the past, the present and uh, 
where are we going to go as from uh, from here? Well, our children, our grandchildren, and so forth. So we're empowering ourselves. Well, let me jump in and ask you this: this awareness on what side? On, on for Native Americans' awareness, Native Americans for the European Americans who took advantage of them. Where's the awareness, or is it on both sides? The, on both sides, especially among Indigenous people, and and so we find a lot of these. Uh, policies now being uh, uh, changed and repatriation has begun. Our nation has just recently uh, repatriated the remains of some of the boarding school children back to our, their homeland for reburial. And there's different uh, inroads being made to create that uh, awareness, not only among uh, indigenous communities, minorities, but with the uh, uh, non-Indian community as well. All right, hold that thought right there. Got another call for you, 14 minutes away from the top there. Let's go to line two. Christian's reaching out to us. He's in Malibu. Good morning, Christian. Morning, gentlemen. Uh, Chief, I'm out here in California. They had a gentleman who oh. gained sainthood, Hunapira Sarah, and um, they created him as a, a priest, and he has uh, oversight over eight missions out of the 21 missions in California, which range from San Diego to San Francisco. There's a lot of Chumash Indians out here, and over the period of time that he was here as a Spanish uh, descendant, working for the king, uh, he was under the guise of religion, Catholic religion, trying to get their land, and if they didn't conform, he would kill them and say that if they were to die, it was tragic, but if a person converted to a Catholic religion and died, it was supposed to be uh, heavenly. And so uh, on one Friday, when the mass people didn't want to convert to Catholicism because they were taking their land and their food, he had them killed. So what is the Indian nation's opinion of Huna Pira Sarah? All right. Actually, well, hold on, Christian, because I think we lost the chief there, and, uh, and I'm not sure what stage is, is. We got him back again? Okay, thanks, Kevin. Uh, chief, did you hear the question from uh, Christian in Malibu? Yes. Hello? Yes. Okay. Go ahead and respond. Yes. The uh, uh, recently, uh, about uh, a year and a half ago, the a pope from the Vatican came to America and uh, gave an official apology and asked for the forgiveness of. Indigenous people for the last uh, many, many 500 years of of uh, genocide, and so <clears throat> there are many, many events such as that that have taken place throughout this country in the in the last uh, historical. Um, some documented, others not, and and so. We we feel that the the healing has begun, and the uh, the first Native American uh, 
Secretary of Interior Susan Harjo is also conducting now uh, not only an investigation into the uh, boarding school atrocities that was involved in many of these religious institutions, but as well as taking steps towards uh, providing uh, healing, uh, mental health, uh, help to the uh, indigenous people for multi-generational uh, trauma that is occurring uh, among our people. And yeah. and so did that answer that question? Yes. Right. Let me ask you another question. The Pope acknowledged that he was sorry and gave apologies, but I never hear the point saying that he wants to make restitution or give money back. What's your opinion on that? Thank you. I think it's still an ongoing process in which uh, there will be uh, there will be some justice that will be sought, and it's an ongoing uh, process. All right. Chief, i got a question for you. A, tw- a, qu- a tweet, actually. The tweeter says, the Indians, I'm going to read it verbatim, uh, the Indians are just like African Americans. We forgive everybody for everything. Maybe that's why they are chosen and protected all the time. And it says that's why the, the Native Americans are basically... I, decipher from this tweet the person is trying to say that's why Native Americans are protected all the time your thoughts we we as indigenous people are the original caretakers we are the original guardians of these Americas not only through treaties with the federal governments but handed down to covenant from the great almighty great spirit. And we have uh, archaeological evidence now of how long uh, many of our nations have been here. And as stewards, stewardship over the land, and that we have a concept which we've lived by for thousands and thousands of years, that if you're going to take anything from Mother Earth, you have to be willing to give something in return. It's a balance. You can't just keep taking and taking and taking. There has to be a concept or a way in which we can develop that we have to give something in return for that which is given by the mother. Now, if every... Yes. No, go ahead, because we're coming up on a break. I'll let you finish your thought. Yes, and and so that concept has to be uh, an educated awareness to every two-legged being on this planet. For every child that's born in this world should have the human right to grow food, to have a a piece of Mother Earth in which they can provide for their families. And 
and live by this concept. All right. Hold that thought right there, Chief. We've got to take a short break. We've got to check the traffic and weather in our different cities and the news for our listeners in Baltimore. We come back. Sister Fahima in Washington, D.C. has a question for you. Seven minutes away from the top. I'll be back in four minutes, though, with the Chief right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. In the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information, is power. Keep Good morning again, family. Minute after the top of the hour with our guest, it's Chief Chasing Horses, just telling us how Native Americans, Indigenous people, how they react to Thanksgiving. And so far, it's, 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 his demeanor has been remarkable. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Sister Fahima is waiting for us. She's on line one. She's calling from Washington, D.C., and she has a question for Chief Chasing Horse. Sister Fahima, good morning. Thank you for taking my call, Mr. Nelson. Greetings to your guest. Um, I had two questions. Um, the first one, because you, you did make reference to the Pope apologizing to what took place in the boarding schools. And I don't know if people really understand the atrocities that took place. I mean, there's been recent revelations in places like Canada and, of course, here throughout North America. The credo was kill the Indian and save the man and how they forbade them from speaking their language or practicing anything that was reminiscent of their culture. They cut their hair, didn't allow them to communicate with their families, attempted pretty much to have them assimilate. Um, and, and these were children who were subject to all types of atrocity. In fact, the Native American Child Welfare Act came about as a direct result, uh, which required children, Native children to be first placed with uh, other Native children uh, uh, families in the event of adoption and foster care. And that's my first question, if you could elaborate on that. And the second one, can you elaborate about the relationship between, well, we weren't African-Americans at that time, but uh, African-Americans, black people, formerly enslaved people, and First Nation people, because there were many parallels, and in many instances we came together, built community. Um, this is one of the reasons why there are many African-Americans do have Native American blood. So could you just talk about uh, those two things, the, uh, the boarding schools and the relationship, the historical relationship between formerly, well, black people formerly who were then enslaved Africans and First Nation people during that time of slavery? Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for the important uh, question. And as we all uh, educate ourselves in awareness, uh, I believe that there were many uh, documented historical events in which uh, uh, Afro-American people and indigenous people came together in survival. Uh, there is the story of uh, how indigenous people uh, shared knowledge with the you know, Afro-American people about how to follow the stars to go north and to uh, escape slavery, to seek freedom, and how they taught them to follow the stars. And, and then uh, also another uh, documented uh, 
historical event is what we call the Trail of Tears, documented from the Cherokee uh, Eastern uh, nations who were marched uh, out to Oklahoma in a uh, uh, a journey of, of suffering. But upon that time, they also took Afro-American people that were uh, married into the Cherokees and to the nations and, and took them with them. And many of them uh, went into Mexico, into Mexico, where the, the Mexican government recognized them and gave them land in which to, to, to live. And so there are uh, events like that where uh, the Cherokee people, when in this march of death, they planted uh, the seeds along the way of, uh, of roses so that they could find their way back to their homeland again. And so there's, uh, uh, yes, there's documented evidence of uh, of nations coming together to survive and sharing uh, agricultural knowledge in the in the southeast, um, sharing uh, uh, food and 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 also ceremonial uh, coming together in uh, in a spiritual manner, and so there is. Uh, there is evidence of that today. There is uh, archaeological evidence of of uh, many nations that uh, intermarried, and and they uh, with their cultural survival. All right, and, uh, Chief, you finish your response. Yes, and there's also uh, treaties that are being uh, uh, treaties that are involved in which was created an alliance between many indigenous nations. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right. Chief, uh, Brother Key's on that, but I got a caller from Nevada on line two. Debbie Littlefeather uh, has a question for you. And also I'm going to put this question to somebody called in the studio and wanted to know how the Blackfoot Indians in New York and New Jersey, why were they called Blackfoot? But first let's go to Debbie on line two. Debbie, good morning. Good morning, Quasi. Uh, yeah, I'm calling because I'm kind of upset with some of the answers that the chief has given because my people are from Louisiana and I know that there were black Indians there. 
that was already on the land and the land was taken from him. Then, so tell, I my question to him, why they don't acknowledge the black Indians that were already here and not try to combine the Africans, which came over here, that's true, with the Indians. And that's my question, and I'll take it off the air. Hotel. All right, thank you. Thank you, Debbie. Uh, uh, okay, Chief, you want to respond to that? And then I'll, I'll this other tweet question for you about the Blackfoot Indians. Yes, during the, uh, I, I believe during the uh, Lincoln administration, when uh, uh, slaves were freed, so-called, there was a, a freeman's down in the southeast there where uh, land was given to, was supposed to be given to uh, free slaves, slaves that were freed. And I believe they were supposed to be given tools and, and so forth to, uh, to live off the land. And so many of those uh, free men uh, were recognized by indigenous people but were not uh, uh, these promises made to them were not fulfilled by the uh, the federal government, and so there is uh, evidence, or there is historical evidence of that uh, today that people are researching. And the reason why that I say that is because we have uh, relatives that are uh, intermarried with Afro-American heritage, and we are doing our research. Uh, and many of them come from that area in uh, uh, Georgia and, and in those whole area. But there's a lot of research that has to yet to be done to, uh, right. yes, yeah, yeah, and the and the call uh, calling the studio want to know: Are you uh, the Blackfoot Indians in New York and New Jersey? And they want to know if you know why they were called Blackfoot. Uh, I believe they're located in, in Montana from the ones from the in, uh, nations that I've been affiliated with, uh, and uh, there are uh, many uh, English terms. Uh, that were put upon indigenous nations that well, I feel were misinterpreted from English, from uh, the original uh, indigenous name into English, such as uh, our nation. We are the Lakota, Dakota, Nakota nation, known from, from the beginning by other indigenous nations. But when the arrival came of the European the French people called us Sioux, in which then uh, we were then referred to as the, the Sioux Nation. But that's a French word that comes from uh, the word snake. And so there were uh, many, many uh, misinterpretations of uh, indigenous peoples and their their names, their heritage, and even places, sacred sites. So well, that, you know what, 
All that, that research yet has to be done. We have to all get on that and research and uh, and and really identify uh, our 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 heritage. Yeah, uh, they try to be, divide us. That's what, that's the ultimate game. But uh, Chief, thank you. Before I let you go, though, I, I got two calls from folks who were just. Just, just they want. They told me they admire your demeanor. You're not angry. You're calm. You know who you are. They also mentioned the fact that, as you said, we go through seven generations, and and the tables will turn. You talk about balance. One was the Pan Africanist, and says that's what we talk about in Pan Africanist about balance. But they appreciate it. One even said they want to be like you if they could have your spirit. They could feel your spirit come through the speakers. So, I, on behalf of those folks who didn't call in who feel the same way, I just want to thank you, Chief, for sharing your thoughts with us this morning. Yes, and I just want to add that, you know, we're praying for all of your safe journeys on this uh, day as we spend time with our families and uh, to always remind that the family uh, is uh, the foundation of our uh, nations. And uh, as long as we have those values and those that hope and those dreams and those prayers, with our families, then I'm sure that, you know, we can uh, create that for the world. And also, I just want to also uh, mention, because the question was asked, uh, many indigenous people, the majority majority of indigenous people served in uh, the military, the veterans. We've served in every conflict, every war. My father was served in World War II. All my brothers, my brother-in-laws served in every major conflict for the, and fought for the freedom of this country. And so the majority of indigenous people are veterans. We, there's more veterans among Indian people than there is, you know. And, and so also that the struggle continues and and so <clears throat> Leonard Paltier, who is recognized as one of the uh, American Indian indigenous activists, who's who's been fighting to bring aware awareness to the the Black Hills, the land, our indigenous rights. The majority of uh, Indian people support him. There is a, a resolution from the Cong- National Congress of American Indians as well as throughout the world. There are uh, nations and uh, respected uh, individuals that uh, support uh, uh, the, the freedom of Leonard Peltier. Right. And I totally agree. And I always got a lot of support, Leonard Peltier and the black community as well. But, Chief, thank you. We run upon a hard break here. Thank you for sharing your thoughts with us this morning. Folks, it's 14 after the top of the hour. We've got to check the traffic and weather in our different cities. When we come back, Brother Keaty's waiting for us right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB, also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. And good morning again, family. Uh, 21 minutes after the top of the hour. Happy Thursday to you, family. If you're in uh, families coming over, because, you know, this is the day when everybody gets together. You know, I know many people, they don't 
aside with the chief, when we were talking about the pilgrims and what we were taught in school this day is all about, and then we talked to uh, Native American indigenous brothers and sisters about what really happened at Plymouth Rock. Having said that, though, let's bring in Brother Keedy to the conversation. He's being so patient, waiting for us. Brother Keedy, good morning. Carl Nelson, it is always a pleasure to be with you, with this family. How is my brother doing today? We're black and we're shining, Brother Keedy. That's, that's, and for the family, that's, a, that's just something between me and Brother Keedy start. But go ahead, Brother Keedy. How are you feeling? Yeah. Uh, we black and we shine. Sisi Niweusti Natunanga. We black and we shine in Swahili, Carl. Let's take it to the next level. All right. Uh, Thanksgiving dinner today. Folks, right now they're in the kitchen uh, or they're on their way to Big Mama's house and Mama's house for, for this uh, this orgy of food they're going to gorge on this afternoon and watch a football game. Uh, tell us about your thoughts about Thanksgiving dinner and, and the book you wrote about uh, suicide. Yeah. Well, Suicide was actually the documentary film I produced in 2014, and it's not in circulation right now. I'm really seriously considering suicide too, taking it up to the next level. But thank you for this invitation and the chance to introduce this concept we call suicide into the lexicon today. And I had put together a book. The book is called Transforming Soul Food for the Body, Mind, and Spirit. And here's how I opened up soul food. Suicide, when you absolutely positively know that you shouldn't be eating that stuff that you are eating, but you are hooked on the taste and thus justify continuing to do so, to do what you are accustomed to doing, that's suicide. When your preferred nutritional lifestyle is directly associated with increased risk of life-threatening chronic diseases like cancer, heart disease, clogged arteries, diabetes, high blood pressure, kidney failure, obesity, and mental illness, That's suicide. When food is so absolutely deliciously decadent that it literally is to die for, that's suicide. Suicide is a raging epidemic within the United States, and the standard African-American diet, so-called soul food, is the epitome of killer cuisine. Carl, we really seriously are going to educate our people to the very best of our ability. There is a difference between sustenance, nutrition, and eating for pleasure. And this eating for pleasure has unfortunately in too many instances been detrimental to our individual and collective health. You and I can go do our part today to help everybody to recognize the distinction there. It has become a conundrum a situation our people don't really understand, but we still maintain it. We can do better than that. Yeah, but here's the deal, too, Brother Keedy. Hopefully, you'll tell us what we can eat as well, because you know, I know all of some of the foods that we that are being prepared right now as we speak are toxic, and some of the folks who are listening to us later this afternoon, they're going to say, "Oh, you know, Brother Keedy said I shouldn't eat this, but I'm I'm a chow down on it anyway, because uh, you know I've been doing it for decades." What do you say to those folks that, that, you know, do you have an alternative? That's one, you know, for, for they, should they do or eat or not eat? Or what do you say to those folks who are going to eat anyway, knowing, even knowing that it's not good for them and they've got all these health challenges? The best that we can do is tell them the truth. 
There's an old adage, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. We're going to do the best we can to remind people of the wisdom that they've been exposed to throughout their life. We're going to remind people that this time of the year, this season of the year, which begins right around Halloween and goes on through mid-January, is the highest sudden death season of the year. It's really quite dramatic. This has been listed in many research journals. More people are going to die. The three deadliest days of the year are Christmas Day, the day after Christmas, and New Year's Day. Now, if people are dying of cardiovascular, sudden cardiovascular death or stroke, which are the two leading causes of the sudden death on those three days, it's not just happening on that day. They're being set up for that by a spectrum of different stressors, we call them. And these stressors include pro-inflammatory processes they're exposed to, which quite often is the accumulation of the amount of sugar that people are consuming beginning from the Halloween time. But these stressors also include the hustle and bustle, the shopping, the stress, the bills. There's so many of these things that pile up. These can all increase our risk for sudden cardiac arrest, heart attack, and stroke. Multiple studies have shown this incidence of these high death days. Carl, last winter, I lost too many people in my circle of associates. And one of my family members, very close family members, almost left the field during the same time period. We can do better than that. The first thing we have to do is bring awareness that these problems exist. Insofar as suicide, I know this food has risks but I'm going to do it anyway because I'm hooked on the taste. I love the taste of salt. I love that gooey chewiness, that mouthfeel of macaroni and cheese and biting into meat. Carl, we're going to do the best we can. I'm going to be as honest, straightforward, forthright with people today as they require you and I to do because they know by now they can trust the Carl Nelson Show and the Carl Nelson Show's guests to be in their best self-interest. I'm your guest today. We're going to do our best job. All right, 28 after the top of the hour. What's in the food that, that might be just toxic? Let's start there. Let's start with the turkey, the butter ball. And I, I don't know if people are still selling butter balls, but butter ball itself, you could tell in the very name, it had a high levels of high-density lipoprotein, the bad fat, high levels of triglycerides, just in the name itself, all of that butter soaking that, that turkey in the butter. But many people prepare their turkey different ways. When they bake the turkey, that's the com- combination of sugars, which are added in the flavorings. It's- Hopefully we haven't lost uh, Brother Keedy. It sounded like his, his line dropped there. Kevin, if you can check it out first at 28 after the top of the hour, discussing, uh, you know, his, his documented suicide and, you know, discussing the food that we're eating today. And and I want you folks to listen carefully because, as you mentioned, he lost some folks who are close to him. Because basically a lot of the illnesses that we have in our community are caused by what we eat. Also, we're going to talk about Africa as well because Brother Kitty's working on the, uh, you know, Africa Rising, the program called Africa Rising, and, and especially in 
in the East African community. He's got a lot of work doing there, and he wants to, you know, wants to bring everybody involved up to date on that. But we want to talk about right now, talk about nutrition, and also, you know, when we talk about food, people, people are like, well, what should I eat then? You know, we want to give all. That's why I say that we need to have alternatives before you, you know, start eating because you tell people there was what's what's good for you and what's not good for you and then we have to figure out what, what's what's the what's the cause so let's, let's hopefully what that happens mcdonald's is not new to chicken so maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the mccrispy juicy fried chicken buttery bun unmatched pickle to chicken ratio yeah they know what they're doing in fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Okay, his line dropped. Okay, I thought it was on our end. Thanks, Kevin. All right, so uh, Brother Keaton's going to get back to us, and uh, we got to figure out what's what's going on here with uh, with the meals that we eat. The, 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 I know everybody's right now. Mamas and big mamas are in the kitchen right now, and hopefully you're on your way over. And, and oh, he's he's back. All right, so so Brother Keaton, uh, explain to us again what what's in the food that might be judged as toxic that we may not even know. Yeah, did we get to methionine? No, we did not. Okay, so we were talking about there are endocrine-disrupting chemicals, the fact that the bird and the bread and other things have been baked to a temperature which creates a crust. That's the presence of acrylic amide, acrylamide. When we're having the macaroni and cheese, that burnt crust, that crispy burnt crust, and that gooey mouth texture, those are unfortunately both indicative that there's toxins inside of that dish. In fact, you may have heard me say before, when I look at the ingredients and the methodology of preparing macaroni and cheese, I find nothing at all of any nutritional value there. Nothing at all, Carl, but we still were hooked on it. We're hooked on the taste, the feel. And it contributes to a lot of problems. But I was specifically talking about the bird because many of us have been told by this meat industry propaganda machinery that turkey and chicken are better for us than beef and pork. According to my research, that's just not been true. It's never been true. It's media industry propaganda. And so when we look at beef, pork, turkey, and seafood, they contain higher amounts of amino acid called methionine, and I had spelled it before. I'll spell it again because I want people to verify everything I say. Methionine, M-E-T-H-I-O-N-I-N-E. This is an amino acid that in excess of amounts becomes pro-inflammatory in the body. Anything that is pro-inflammatory, including these huge amounts of sugar consumed during this two-month period, all of these pro-inflammatory mechanisms increase the risk of sudden cardiac arrest. They increase the risk of atherosclerosis and a, an infection, inflammation, taking place inside of our arteries where the endothelial lining of our arteries, the skin lining inside the arteries, 
has these buildups of plaque on them, and the inflammation causes a piece of the plaque to break off, which can then transit through our arteries and block access to oxygen to our brain, to our lungs. Thrombosis could happen to our peripheral limbs. And quite simply, there's your stroke. There's your pulmonary embolism that can end a person's life very quickly. We need to know what we can do to mitigate these risks and provide a better long-term nutritional outcome and health outcome for our people. Right. When we come up on a break, though, uh, Brother Keedy, tell us what the problems are in the food, the current food that we eat today. But what are some alternatives? Because, you know, the folks are saying, well, I got to eat. You know, what, what am I going to eat? And they're going to ask you they're going to ask you about proteins because they, they think that all vegetarians lack protein. So I want you to respond to that as well. But we got to step aside and get caught up on with the latest news, traffic and weather in our different cities. I'll let you explain that when we get back. Folks, you got questions for Brother Keedy about your, your Thanksgiving Day meal, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. And good morning, game family. 20 minutes away from the top here. Thanks for sharing your Thursday with us or Thanksgiving Day for some. Reach out to us if you want to join this conversation. Brother Keedy at 800-450-7876. Discussing some of the foods that we eat and why we should maybe pass on them today. Before we go back to him, though, let me just remind you that tomorrow's Friday. Of course, you know that. And we'll give you another chance to free your mind, think for yourself, and reach out to us in our Open Phone Friday program. We begin promptly at 6 a.m. Eastern Time right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. I know many people participate in the Thanksgiving today, uh, Brother Kitty, but not necessarily about the whole story about the pilgrims, but it's a good time for family and friends to get together. So I think most people are doing that. But before you tell us the alternatives, after that great meal, (laughs) you know, and the dessert, you turn on the game to watch your football, the football game, the, the commanders are playing the Cowboys today, and everybody I know in the D.C. folks are going to be watching that game, and the folks uh, this one's down in Dallas will be watching the game. Well, people around the country are watching that game, too. And then they fall asleep in front of the, in front of the game. They miss the game. What, and, you know, some people call it the itis. You know what I'm talking about, right. Brother Keedy. Right. What causes that? What causes the itis is that the combination and the load of food coming into the stomach because of the traditional Thanksgiving meal, overloads the ability of the stomach to properly digest it. The pancreas kind of has to regulate all this stuff coming in. And if the living enzymes that are found in nature's food, raw food, if the living enzymes have all been neutralized, the pancreas sends a signal to the immune system to rally white blood cells to come to the stomach and help to break these foods coming down in their constitu- into their constituent amino acids. This process of calling up a load of white blood cells to rush to the stomach is known as digestive leukocytosis. Leukocyte is a white blood cell. So digestive, obviously, this deals with the inflammation is in the stomach. The pancreas sees this as an invasion, an inflammation. We can avoid that by consuming more raw foods that have their enzymes intact, or in certain cases, such as collard greens. I can make collard greens that are actually raw. I just use 
about a tablespoon or so of cider vinegar, which has the acidity in it. Combine that with a tablespoon or so of extra light virgin olive oil. And I'll put that into my, I can have collard greens, Swiss chard, kale. I'll mix seven different types of greens in the bowl, cut them up into smaller pieces, and then just take my hands and massage those, the oil and the cider vinegar into them for about five minutes until they start to wilt. Let it sit for 20 minutes, and you would think that they were cooked because of the texture, but you will notice that they still retain the bright green color of the chlorophyll, which has not been compromised by cooking the chlorophyll out of the greens. It'll then go into the water it's cooked in, and our, our grandmothers and great-grandmothers called that the pot liquor because the significant amount of the vitamins went, or the minerals went into the water. We saw the color of the water change, and the pot liquor was said to be good for those who drank it, and that's true. The mineral drink is going to be good. But why not leave the minerals? Why not leave the vitamins intact? Why not leave the naturally occurring enzymes in them? And it makes it much more digestible. So what can we eat? Let's do, first of all, a first rule. If it's raw and it's served, it's probably vegetable-based, and it's going to be good for us. Very few people are going to be eating tartar, <laughs> raw beef, and raw eggs deliberately during their Thanksgiving meal. So if it's raw, it's going to have a natural occurring enzymes intact, and enzymes are one of the eight critical classes of nutrients that we must consume to enjoy life. Also, cooking can deplete these foods of their vitamins or vitamins for our UK listeners, and so therefore we want to make sure we just stay as close to nature's order as we possibly can. Last point I'll make, Carl, I'm going to share the easiest recipe in the world for maybe one of the healthiest dishes anyone could ever eat. It's called crangerine sauce. Originally, the formula only had two ingredients. We take dried cranberries, dehydrated cranberries, and we get some fresh tangerines. We squeeze the juice out of the tangerines and put them in a bowl or something, a cup, to cover up the level of the cranberries so that the cranberries sit for several hours or overnight, and they plump up with the tangerine juice inside of them, the new hydration. I then take about three-quarters, four-fifths of that, put it into a blender, blend it all right up, and then the rest of the plumped berries, I'll put that in with a blended up, serve that, and that is the most delicious recipe you could ever imagine. Many people use that as a substitute for jellies and jams. You can also, one of my friends showed me, Add some fresh ginger in it before you blend it up, and it takes it to the next level. Ginger is, of course, one of the absolute healthiest foods we could eat. It's known to be uh, an anti-cancer agent, and ginger is very good for men to prevent and or deal with a diagnosis of prostate cancer. That cranberry juice, you put that on the table, and the canned cranberry gelatin, which has some nasty things in it, that cran can cranberry gelatin will no longer be able to compete against cranberry sauce. All right, fourteen away from the top, brother Keedy. What about tofurkey instead of the real turkey, the, the tofu turkey, tofurkey they call it. For a person who's in transition from meat eating to becoming more of a vegetarian, substitutes for meats can be a helpful process. 
for a person who's been vegetarian, been vegan, and now raw food superfoodist, I'm not completely raw now. It's about 80-20 for a superfoodist. Processed plant foods that are processed to imitate meat no longer cut it. I don't do any of them. I don't do the burgers that are plant-based and highly processed because I know that high, highly processed food, including tofurkey, can still be unrecognizable by your digestive system and on the cellular level when these amino acids get in there. So if my body doesn't recognize it traditionally as food and our body's evolved to recognize food over the course of millions of years, then I know to leave it alone. But for those people who are in trans- transition, I say I can understand why you're doing that. I did that when I was much younger in my vegetarian lifestyle, used these imitation meats as transitions, but now I have gone beyond that and I no longer use them. Why? Because I saw too many of my vegetarians using these transition foods regularly that died of cancer. And I think that they're, to a great extent, it was because these foods were incompatible with human digestion on a cellular level. All right, 13 away from the top of that. What about dessert? Dessert, chocolate, is something that the human brain craves. The brain craves chocolate for several ingredients. For one, the chocolate itself, the cacao bean, is one of the healthiest natural products in the world. Unfortunately, we compromise the chocolate when we add dairy to it, which for most adults or for most people over 36 months of age, we, we're no longer tolerant of the lactose, the sugar molecule in dairy. We're lactose intolerant. That's just natural. We're all, there are a lot of people put a lot of sugar, refined white. I call it the legal cocaine, the refined white sugar. They put that into these dessert products. So dessert products can be wonderfully healthy, but it depends on what ingredients we put in them. I make a chocolate fudge brownie that's made with raw. It's actually made raw, dehydrated. I use bananas as a basis for the, the brownies. I put chocolate powder in there, and I'll put in a little bit of vanilla in those. And I'll also add a, a limited amount of agave, natural sweetener. You can get raw organic agave, and it's pretty good, even though it does have a little bit of a high glycemic, so you have to ease up on it. Use just enough to get that hint of the sweetness, but don't load up the sweetness. I dehydrate those, put those on the plate, and they look, they taste like brownies. They're absolutely delicious, and the amount of chocolate in it, along with the potassium from the bananas, makes this a living superfood chocolate dessert. I got to ask you about the pies because, you know, every plate, every table is going to be pumpkin or or some kind of pie, apple pie, cherry pie. There's going to be a pies today. Your thoughts on pies. Mm -hmm. The two main problems with pies that I see, because the fruit, absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I I love sweet potato pie. The two, two main problems, three main problems with the pie. Number one, excessive amounts of refined white sugar. If we can find other sweetener substitutes, such as molasses or uh, rice bran sugar, we can find uh, maple syrup is not bad. These all tend to be a little bit high glycemic. So if a person is diabetic or uh, what they call it, pre-diabetic, they need to be really careful 
and regulate their sugar stricter than everyone else. Put lots of cinnamon on your pies and things. The cinnamon helps us to uh, improve our insulin response to the sugar we eat. Cinnamon. We should be eating cinnamon every day in our teas, in our desserts, in our fruits. Everywhere we can find to add cinnamon, it helps with that insulin uptake. And the other two ingredients that are mentioned in the pies beyond the sugar, the white, the bleached flour crust that many people use is toxic. It's a, another form of refined carbohydrates, which is what sugar is. And the third part that makes them problem, problematic is when you bake them above 250 degrees, 350 degrees, and form the crust. The crust is acrylic amide, acrylamide, a known carcinogen, cancer-causing agent. All right, nine away from the top of the hour, a drink. What's your beverage? What choice of beverage, whether it be alcoholic or should, is that a no-no or should just what or should you just drink water? Your thoughts. Water is, of course, great. But there are different forms of water that become great. What I do when people would come over to my house for the feast, I'm not doing them right now, but plan to start them up again soon. When they first come in, I'd have about three or four different forms of water to drink. I would take a cucumber, slice it up into very thin slices, and put that in a big pitcher of water and let that soak overnight. Call that cucumber water. It's very refreshing. And the enzymes in the cucumber have now been transferred into the water, which is going to improve the whole of the digestive system. Also, cucumbers are an excellent product that we should be eating as part of our regular diet. So it helps with our cardiovascular health. I would take fresh mint leaves and soak that in the water overnight. So hydration is good. Sorrel, which our Jamaicans know, uh, we also know as hibiscus juice, is a very popular drink around the world. And that deep red color of the sorrel is indicative of the iron content of it, which helps with the formation of blood platelets that carry oxygen throughout our blood system. So sorrel is another one that's a favorite. I stopped drinking coffee a number of years ago when I found out that coffee was carcinogen, cancer-causing. And one of the things that I put in as a substitute for coffee was roasted barley seeds. You can make them into an iced tea. You can make them into a hot tea or a hot beverage. Roasted barley is full of minerals. In Korea, where much of this, uh, where, where I get my supplies from Korean supermarkets, they give it to the babies because they say it gives them, makes them have strong bones, and it's also good for the elders for this very same reason. So there are all kinds of substitutes. Fortunately, Carl, I have three living Superfood Recipes books out. The first two are all raw, uncooked recipes, but the third one, Living Superfood Volume 3, is a combination of raw and cooked recipes, all of which qualify as health-provoking Living Superfood Vegan Food. All right. Hold that thought right there. We've got to step aside and get caught up on the latest traffic and weather in the news for our listeners in Baltimore at six minutes away from the top. Then when we come back, we want to talk about Africa. We want to finish up, though, on, on the food items that we should be consuming on this Thanksgiving day. What are your thoughts, family? 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL for information. Is power. Keep 
And good morning, family. A minute after the top of the hour with our guest, Brother Kitty, discussing what, what we should consume this, this holiday. This, and a lot of folks are out there cooking and thinking about alternatives. This is what Brother Kitty is supplying us this morning. 800-450-7876 to speak to Brother Kitty. Jay's reaching out to us. Jay's online, too, calling from Detroit. Good morning, Jay. Is Jay there on line two? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Brother Jay. Hey, you can you? Okay, yeah. Can you guys hear me now? Uh, well, we're talking to you. Oh, okay, perfect. Hey, uh, I just want to give accolades to Keedy because it's through Keedy and LIB Radio that I even found out about Carl Nelson's show. So, uh, Going back to the 90s and all the great information that you've disseminated and helped me and my. Well, it's a pleasure, absolutely a pleasure to hear from you, Jay. And thanks for reminding Carl that in the background, we're talking about you. We got a lot of love for WOL Network. And I think that line may have dropped. Uh, no, I, I think, yeah, I think he, he said what he said. Do you want to respond to what he, anything else he said? I just want to send him love. Glad you're tuned in to the Carl Nelson show today. Glad you have found this family. And it's a pleasure having you in the LIB radio family, brother Jay. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All righty. Thanks, Jay. And thanks for everybody who's sharing their, their Thursday with us this morning because you know you could be doing something else. We appreciate each and every day that you check in. But on a day like this, which is a holiday for some, and, and Brother Keedy is teaching us, uh, what to do, but but you told us about the the beverages, brother Kitty. Some of the some of the alternatives, and and that's what I like when we talk about. Well, because you know we talk about solutions. Yeah, we talk about solutions, and and that as part of the solutions, you have alternatives that we should. You know, you don't tell people you can't eat this, you can't eat that. But here's what you should do. Here's here's what what's much better for you. But by the way, Jay's just back for, uh, online too again. Jay, good morning. Yeah, good morning. Yeah, I was just talking about. Uh, how Kitty introduced me to the Carl Nelson show back in the LIB radio days. And I just had a couple of questions. Um, my first question is, uh, quickly, uh, could you give some information on detoxing away from uh, the legal cocaine, you know, refined sugar and some things you can do, you know, because that that's a process, uh, that detoxification from that addiction to refined white sugar, uh, turmeric as a, a spice or element that you could add to your food and the benefits of that. And the last question is vitamin supplements. Uh, you know, what's your take on that, you know, as 
part of the healing process because I know with your raw foods and you know I have a couple of your you know living foods books and things of that nature you know you do that you get a lot of those vitamins and minerals and nutrients naturally as opposed to t- taking supplements you know a lot of people are big about taking supplements so if you could kind of elaborate on those that would really be helpful in this time especially to us vegetarians that sometimes uh, slip, but I don't. I don't slip with you know the. I'm not a carnivore, you know. I'm strictly away from that. But there's other elements sometimes that you have to deal with. And I just wanted to thank you, brother, because you really helped me through the years and so many different ways. You probably re- remember my voice because you would all when I when I would call, I was always from Coleman Young City. So. That's right. I remember those days when all of the cities were named after the prominent African people. That's correct. Let me respond directly to your questions, and these are excellent questions. I really appreciate that. This sugar detox that you talk about, Carl, this is a crisis across our country. I work with individuals as a nutrition consultant using the basis called functional medicine, basically using nature's order to prevent diseases and if necessary, reverse diseases and disorders that are already in place. That's called functional medicine. And one of the things I'm frequently hearing from people, they want to improve their diet, and they will make the statement, I have a sweet tooth. I say, I do not believe you. I have known many people who eat excessive amounts of sugar, and no one has ever pointed to that tooth. Of course, recognizing that's just a way of making a joke to kind of conceal our own perceived shortcomings. But it's called sugar addiction. And when we first, I think the best way for people to overcome these things is understand exactly what is happening inside your body in consuming all of the sugar. We had earlier talked about sugar is one of the most intense antagonists of inflammation inside the body. And when we look at the outcome of inflammation in the body, in my book, 100 Plus Lifespan, I list some 161 conditions that are triggered by inflammation, a whole bunch of them, including sudden cardiac arrest, stroke, diabetes, hypertension, and these metabolic syndrome diseases, 161 of them. So we do want to understand what sugar does, also what sugar does to the brains of our children. We're sending them off to school after having a high glycemic breakfast, and some of the children even getting one or two sodas on their way to school. This impacts the function of the hippocampus, a section of the brain associated with memory and learning. So we have to understand that excessive amounts of sugar and alcohol is liquid sugar. Excessive amounts of sugar inhibit our brain function, causes inflammation, leading to a whole spectrum of diseases and disorders. Now we know the rationale of why we should detox. And from my perspective, and I detox four times a year, 28 days for each detox period. So for me, a detox fast is nothing. But for most people who have never done it, it's quite a challenge. But you do want a detox. You can start with a short detox, three days. You can start with a seven-day. I like my detoxes in rhythms of seven, seven days, 14 days, 21 days, 28 days. The longest I've done was 42 days. That's six times seven. So once you do a detox, you should then reset yourself in the new nutritional lifestyle that you have intelligently decided is going to be best for your long-term self-interest. He talked about turmeric. 
I'd earlier mentioned cinnamon. There are four culinary herbs that I recommend people consume every day as often as you can get those in. Those are cinnamon, turmeric, which is a powerful antioxidant, one of the most powerful anti-inflammatory agents we could ever eat because it contains, contains this molecule called curcumin, which is a powerful anti-inflammatory. So there's cinnamon, turmeric, cayenne pepper, which helps to clear the mucus out of our bodies. We remember what Dr. Savy said, mucus becomes the foundation of nearly every disease. And quite simply, that's because mucus is directly connected to inflammation. And the fourth of those herbs is ginger. You can, con you can use fresh ginger, which is always going to be the best, but dried ginger, powdered ginger is excellent. I add it to my teas, my smoothies. I add it to wherever I can add it. I use it as a culinary spice for dishes that I might even be cooking. So adding these things are absolutely wonderful. And lastly, he talks about vitamin supplementation or for our UK family, vitamin supplementation. I recommend at least every adult be having, taking a high quality men's daily multivitamin or for women taking a woman's daily multivitamin. They've got a lot of ingredients in them that support our hormonal balance the testosterone, androgen hormone for men, and, of course, the estrogenic hormones for women as well. There are multiple estrogen hormones. But for me, I wrote the book called Living Superfood Longevity, Strategies for Extending Our Healthy Life Expectancy. And in Chapter 14, I list some, I believe it's up to 46 now, vitamin, mineral, herbal supplements some of which are detox agents, that I consider part of my anti-aging arsenal. So I, on a normal given day, I send them through rotation. I'll take about 12 of these per day going through a rotation. And, Carl, if I were to use my outcome, my health measures, my youthfulness and longevity as, an out, as a measure, it seems to be working really well. And I can only teach people that which I have proven works by using my own body as a test laboratory. All right, 11 after the top of the hour. Before we talk about Africa, Glaude has joined us on line three, calling from Baltimore. Good morning, Glaude. Yeah, good morning, family, and happy holidays to everybody. Uh, Brother Keely, um, everything that you mentioned, mostly everything, but I learned some stuff too, but I'm going to get your book so I can go to page 14 and get some more ingredients. My concern mm -hmm. is, the morning, Bill Gates had bought up uh, 200,000 uh, farmland, and, and there's a reason why he's doing that. And, and I'm thinking, because when I go to the market or the farm store, farmer's market, I'm always looking for raspberries, you know, with the seeds in them. Because every time you look, you see the hole in the middle is gone, right? And then when I buy, uh, and I know about bananas, bananas have seeds in them. But when you go buy bananas and apples and certain stuff, don't have seeds in them. So what can we do? In the, in the meantime, when they modify all our foods and everything, so can we still stay on that on that path that you mentioned? And uh, I listened to your your message, you know, your response on off air. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you very much, Claude, and thank you for being a supporter. The book I mentioned again, Living Superfood Longevity, and that's Chapter 14 with those supplements. He raises a very, very important point, a very important question, and I appreciate that. It's because 
we're going to have to be ever more vigilant. Without mentioning Bill Gates in particular, I do write about Bill Gates in my latest book when it comes to examining this pandemic and how it spread around the world. I couldn't avoid mentioning his name. But we're going to have to be very, very careful of the whole billionaire class. During the pandemic years, the middle class was hit very hard. And in the, in the even before that, and we're getting a feedback. I think he turned his Yeah, we're getting a feedback. Kevin, can you drop the line three for us? Thank you. All right, go mm-hmm. ahead, Brother Keith. Okay. So during that pandemic, and even for, mm-hmm. for the last well, thank you very much, 40 years or so. Thank you for being a supporter. Yeah. So during the last 40 years, the middle class has been shrinking. They've been assaulted in the United States. Meanwhile, the poorer class has been assaulted as well, but, and they have been absorbing members of the middle class who have fallen downward. The billionaire class has been sucking in money at the fastest rate ever in just over a century. So we have to understand we've got to watch the behaviors of this class of people, and Mr. Gates comes under that class of people. But insofar as the integrity of our domestic food supply system, insofar as the integrity of small family farms, and farmers who are committed to feeding their consumers, the customers, the healthiest food they could possibly produce, there are major challenges as the whole food supply system increasingly becomes incorporated and the stock shares are bought up by these huge mega corporations and Carl act like they want to own the world. Among the many things that people of that class say, is that there are too many people on the planet. That's population control. You and I have had so many conversations about that here on WOL. People know where I stand. I say, let nature do her course. I wrote a book called The Blackest Soil, Africa Can Feed the World. And I stick by the findings in that book. Africa has the capacity to feed as many as 12.9 billion people a 2,200 calorie right. per and day. Hold that thought right there, uh, Brother Keaton, because we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we want to talk about Africa. Folks, you want to join this conversation, Brother Keaton, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power. And good morning again, family. 21 minutes after the top of the hour with uh, uh, Brother Kitty. We've been talking about this today's special day for some folks, Thursday. I know there's going to be a lot of eating, but there's also we've got to talk about the continent. Brother Kitty, you, you often refer to the term Africa rising. What do you mean by that term? Yeah, Africa rising, more than a term, really describes a phenomenon. I call it a narrative Because when we use those words, Africa rising, we're opening up to, it's almost like uh, a calendar or a classroom, and there are many subsets of the conversation. We look at GDP growth, gross domestic product growth across the continent. It has been higher for the African continent than the world average and significantly higher than the Western nations in which we find ourselves. We could look at the peace dividend which is happening now that the liberation struggles have pretty much passed and the smaller internecine wars, internecine is a word that essentially means brothers fighting brothers, that these are being resolved and settled. 
after so many years, after over 40 years, maybe 60 years, the Congo finally has been able to suppress its internal conflicts almost completely. And now we can see very rapid development inside the Congo. For many years, we have talked about Africa uniting its nations, getting rid of these artificial borders created at the Berlin Conference, 1884-85, and the concept, the idea of a continental unity, many of us have referred to as the United States of Africa. Well, this is happening actually right now. It's actually taking place outside of the awareness of many of us. So when it comes to the ideas of Africa rising, which includes the fastest growing middle class of any part of the planet, I get excited. I love talking about it. So let's just take some time right now so more of us can understand Africa is rising. And they say in the urban basketball courts, we got next. All right. 24 minutes after the top of the hour. Well, let's, let's deal with this, this uh, effort, though, because some people, not all people, some people still think Africa is being backward, conflict-ridden, corrupt, impoverished, and they think about the young ch the children flies or working in, in mines uh, being taken advantage of. Bring all of that into perspective for us. Some people just are not going to get it. Uh, there was a wonderful group out of Baltimore called Precise Science. I was honored to be very close to them. And their album was entitled, Everybody's Not Going to Get It. Everybody's not going to get it. The key about it is, is can we get a critical mass of us to get it so that we can implement the programs that allow us to be a part of all of the successes to be found in the world? And... You know, the Africans have not launched a bunch of negative propaganda against the Western countries, many of them still very congenial, very friendly to those countries that were their colonizers. Look at the recent visit of King Charles to Kenya. The Kenyans welcomed King Charles there, and they were congenial and polite with him. But King Charles' mother, Queen Elizabeth, reigned over the period when the brutal suppression of Kenya's land and freedom army struggle, we've come to call the Mau Mau uprising, took place. And what they did against the freedom fighters there was genocide. It was strictly genocide. And they didn't even force King Charles to apologize. He didn't apologize. He didn't say anything about giving back the gold that was stolen, that empowered the British royal family and the British economy for centuries. And so Africans do not launch a bunch of negative propaganda, even though they could, against the Western countries. For many reasons, they could do that. But we as Africans in America have been subjected to the most brutal, vicious lies and distortions of truth and propaganda against our own motherland continent. So if any of our people are still believing that Africa is backwards, lost hope, that Africa is not growing a middle class, that Africa is not amongst the most pristine, clean land and water on the planet and has immense possibilities. If we don't believe in African babies being born at the greatest rate of any ethnic group on the entire planet to the point that by the year 2050, it looks like one out of every four people on the planet will be an African, then there's really no hope for people who just can't see what is obvious that the rest of the world sees. And those people are going to have a very difficult time finding their sovereign and sustainable empowerment. 
All right, 26 after the uh, top of the hour with Brother Keedy. Just join us on this Thursday morning. And, and Brother Keedy, looking at the investment horizons, why are so many Chinese, European, Indians, and now the Arabs joining the trek, go, all going into Africa, all pushing hard to, to you know, uh, I, get, I guess, get involved in the, the products on the continent? Why is this happening? The simplest answer is they want profitable returns on investment. And they know where to find them on the planet. They do a lot of research. There are a lot of publications that have been talking about these phenomena of Africa's rapid economic growth and development. A more complex answer would include things such as many of these countries don't have the land to be able to grow the food to feed their people and keep the cost of that food reasonable. So they see the abundance of arable land on the African continent. You know, Africa has 60% of the unused arable land on the planet. Africa has plenty of water for farming. Africa has all of these, but many of the inputs are, have been lacking. So the investors come in and they provide startup money for the season growing. They provide money for capital for storage of the harvest and uh, local processing and export for processing as well. So the simple reason, why are they coming to Africa? They're looking for Easy, low-cost investments that bring a tremendous return on investment, an example of which is China. China has been, for going on the second decade, the major investor in African development outside of African nations and investors themselves. And for China, I give you the year 2018 as an example. China invested some, and not just the state of China, but private investors invested some $60 billion dollars in what I estimated to be about 192 development projects on the African continent. $60 billion input and investments, along with engineering skills, et cetera, for which that year they reaped a $300 billion trade, uh, level of trade with Africa. So invest $60 billion, get $300 billion out of it. That's a five-to-one ROI in one year. Carl, which of us? in our wisdom, would not want to invest and get a five-to-one ROI that year. Uh, well, let me jump in here and ask you this at 30 minutes after the top of the hour. Two weeks ago, the Saudis invited African heads of state to, to Riyadh, the capital, uh, to discuss you know, their forge into Africa, into the African continent. Are we seeing a new neocolonialism taking place with, with, with now with the Saudis, we've seen the Chinese have been there, but their economy is, is uh, having issues, so they've sort of pulled back on, on, on a lot of projects. Are, they, are we replacing one slave master for another now with the Saudis? Your thoughts? No, no. And I'm very adamant about saying no. Something is happening. These are foreign direct investors coming in, and it is happening. What they are doing, they are not coming in and telling the Africans what religion they should have, even though we do know Africa is impacted by foreign religions. That's just our innate spirituality expressing itself in a convenient manner. They are not coming in and telling the African governments, you have too many employees, you need to engage these structural adjustment programs, which is what the neo-colonialists, the um, Bretton Woods organizations, the IMF, World Bank, and others did to Africans. So, but this is different. It's not neocolonialism. I do use a term in the new book, Forge of a Fire, called nouveau colonialism. 
because it's more corporate structured than it is coming in with armies and military and making these demands. But I'm very adamant what China is doing in Africa is not a new neo-colonialism. Let's discuss it. Let's come to a clear understanding because if we have a clear understanding about what's going on, there's a better chance that we will appropriately response, respond to it if it is necessary for us to protect our long-term self-interest. Last point I'll make on that is one of the reasons China took over as the main trade partner for African countries, just snatched it away from the United States, is because they have a better fair trade policy than the Western governments. France, the United States, Britain, Portugal, and Belgium have had very unfair trade policies with the African continent that have persisted for 100 years and more. The Chinese are coming in with fair trade policies, and they scooped up the whole thing. The question is, now that we have the African Growth and Opportunities Act, the African Free Trade Agreement, we have to ask the question, we African people in the Western countries, is there a piece of that African cake that we should wish to put on our plate, to put on our table and serve our children? The whole world is rushing in, Carl. There is a new, new scramble for Africa. And I'm a little disappointed that our team doesn't seem to want to get on the field and compete. All right, hold that thought right there. We come from a break. When you come back, though, it's just, there is a scramble for Africa, and everybody's trying to get in. What about the, the, the African diaspora, folks who are not just in the United States, but UK, the Caribbean, South America, wherever we are? What if you had to, if you could recommend some some of the best African countries for us to invest in? Just when we come back, just give us give us a list or just tick off some names and and the reasons why we should there would be a good for investment because everybody else you mentioned is, is scrambling to get a piece of the continent except the, the brothers and sisters of the the natives of the African continent. So if you come, come when we come back, if you can do that, I appreciate it, folks. We got to step aside and take our last look at the news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. We be back with Brother Kitty and your phone calls if you want to reach us at 800-450-7876 right here in four minutes in Baltimore on ten ten W O L. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450, WOL, where information is power. And good morning again, family. 20 minutes after the top of the hour, 20 minutes before the top of the hour, pardon me. It, we're discussing it with Brother Keedy about which African nations we should uh, probably look to invest in for those who want to invest. But uh, Brother Booker's got a question for Brother Keedy. Before we do that, though, I just want to remind you, t- uh, tomorrow's Friday. You all know that. Some of you say it's Black Friday for us. Every day is a black day for us. T- well, we'll give you another chance to free your mind, think for yourself, and reach out to us. Our Open Phone Friday program begins promptly at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. I'll wait till the last minute. Folks, wait till the last minute. There's a bunch of folks who didn't get on. But we'd love to hear what you have to say. So Reach out to us tomorrow morning, starting at 6 a.m. Eastern Time, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WLB, or also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. And Brother Keaty, before we go, uh, you answer the question about uh, you know which countries you think would be great for us to in- invest in. Uh, Booker is calling us from Baltimore and has a question about your book. Booker, good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? Greetings, Booker. Hello. Great to hear from you, man. Okay. Yes, sir. I was calling to get the name of your book. Okay. You know, I have 53 books out now. Was there any specific oh. topic? Are we looking for the latest book out? I have 10 new books for this calendar year. It's my greatest year ever of writing. The newest book is called Forged by Fire, Post 
COVID African Healthcare and Sovereign Development. And that's the book really that is the center of the conversation we're having today. Uh, or is it a health book? I have over 20 health books out. Did you say forged fire? Forged by fire, meaning cooked in the fire, meaning Africa's current status of growth and development has been because of the fire, the heat that's been put on Africa for so long. Now Africa is channeling that and forged by fire post-COVID African healthcare and sovereign development. It's a very exciting book. And I'll say, Brother Booker, and thank you for asking about my books. I put this book forward as the most significant pan-African book of the decade. I put that much work into this book. It is loaded with statistics, strategies, and context, especially when we look at the context of how COVID-19 had disproportionate impact on different countries, different ethnies, different regions of the planet. If we look at African-Americans and their response to the pandemic, we did the worst. If we look at African nations, almost as a whole, they did the best. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'll tell you what, Brother Keaty, why don't you give your website out so Booker and all the listeners now can, if they want, because you mentioned you got a bunch of books out there, they can take a look at the Capruz and, and then pick whatever book they think they want to read at any particular time. What's your website? I want them to go to this simple website, panafricanstudy.com. You also start, I'm starting a new course tomorrow where I will be teaching for eight weeks the future of Pan-African economic development, which goes back to the nature of the very question, Carl, you put on the table. So if Booker, um, I hope you can go to Pan-African Study. You're going to see the new book there. More importantly, I want to consider more of us learning what I have been teaching about the front edge, the cutting edge of Pan-Africanism, which is contemporary and future, sustainable and sovereign development. All right. Thank you, Booker. Thanks for your call. Uh, so, Brother Keaty, for Hi, those folks who, who want uh, in the diaspora who want to invest, uh, the, you know, if, if right now, most mm-hmm. of our folks are just going back to Africa just to have fun or, or just to reconnect with our culture. But those people, who, the business folks who are listening, what are some of the, the, the African states that you think that we should we should uh, invest in? Okay, and I created this list. I did a program on this just less than a week ago. So this is very, very current. Number one on the list, Rwanda. GDP growth, 6.2%. Just a couple of things about Rwanda. It's beautiful, called the land of a thousand hills. It is the safest African country. It is the cleanest African country, has one of the five best or eight best leaders on the continent. And it also is a great place to go into housing construction. Rwanda, number two on the list, Cote d'Ivoire, 
also 6.2% annual GDP growth, amongst the highest in the world. Of course, if we look at the top 25 fastest growing countries in the world, I think 17 of them are African countries. So Cote d'Ivoire comes in. It's a great cocoa producer. It's strategically located on the west coast of Africa as a great port for uh, export. Cote d'Ivoire, excellent. Benin, excellent source of investment. It's a tiny little country, but it's doing really, really well. It's a beautiful place, and Benin is reaching out to people across the diaspora. Come home. Come to Benin. A disproportionate number of us were exported from Benin because of the slave trading, the homey state. Well, now they see in context they need to welcome us back. Number four on the list, Uganda, one of my favorites. I'm very closely connected with Uganda, and I love their leadership. I love Kampala. I love the university there, Makerere University, which is called the MIT of Africa. And some of their inventions, such as Africa's first electric car, they've even invented or put out a tampon that's non-toxic. Most people are unaware of how toxic tampons are. They put out a sanitary pad that's non-toxic. So going quickly through the rest of the list of the top 10, number five on my list, Tanzania, 5.2% annual GDP growth. Kenya, which will be my new home, 5% annual growth. Kenya is doing great, especially in housing construction. It is booming in Kenya right now. And the cost to build a luxury home there at, uh, I think, uh, what is it, uh, four is something like a, the cost per square meter is one less than one quarter of what it costs to build a home in the United States. So I can just say that. So going from Kenya, Togo, tiny little Togo, next to Benin and Ghana in the Gulf of Guinea, growing at a 4.6% annual growth rate. Carl, Togo is a huge supply of phosphate. And in just one year, their phosphate ex- extraction and exportation doubled. Why? Because of Liko Dangote, the richest black man in the world, wanted to significantly increase Africa's production of fertilizer. And so they go to Togo, and now Togo's doubling its GDP in a rapid, short period of time. Tiny little Togo, I've been there. Senegal, next on the list, growth rate at 4.1%. So many things about Senegal. This is a beautiful, creative people, and to me, apparel, fashion, and fabrics, as well as style from Senegalese people is something they should be exporting to all of us across the diaspora. Number nine on the list, the island nation of Madagascar. Carl, very early on in the pandemic declaration, within a month, Madagascar came up with an herbal-based indigenous solution, and they exported it to some 14 African countries. I think that's one of the key reasons Africa beat this pandemic so handily across the rest of the world. The product was called COVID Organics. And number 10 on the list is Algeria. One of the Maghreb Mediterranean states, Algeria's GDP growth at 3.8% is is significantly less than some of the others on this list. But nonetheless, Algeria is an African nation and is growing at a wonderful rapid rate. Those are my top 10 ports for investments. And then of course, the book Forge of a Fire has a whole long list of particular places where our investment capital will probably yield the greatest ROI. All right. 12 yeah, away from the top of the course. 
Okay, we'll get to that before you leave for sure. But uh, on line three, Ezel, is Ezel still with us in Baltimore on line three? Yes, I am, yeah. Good can morning, sir. Good yes, morning. we can hear. Go ahead, John. Oh, I, I, I enjoy your show as well. Um, uh, Katie, you, you had mentioned, uh, I, I, my phone cut out, you had mentioned the four uh, herbal uh, uh uh, intake we should take in our bodies uh, for for supplements. Was it was it herbs that we should? Uh, four culinary herbs we should be consuming every day. Yeah. So these four culinary herbs we should be consuming every day. And I start with my morning tea. I put them all in it. They are turmeric. You of course powdered turmeric. You can use the turmeric root, but the powdered turmeric works real well. You can mm-hmm. use cinnamon powder, mm-hmm. cayenne pepper. And the fourth one is cinnamon, turmeric, cayenne, and ginger is the fourth one. Consume those every day. Powerful reinforcer of all aspects of your internal health, especially anti-inflammatory. Gotcha. Appreciate it. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And and, and your website is African, Pan-African what? The the, the website for my Pan-African work is pan AfricanStudy.com. Now, if you want to see my health and nutrition work, you're going to go to LivingSuperFood.com. Got it. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. I look forward to hearing from you, Brother Azel. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Right, Ten minutes away from the top. Brother Keedy, you mentioned that Kenya is going to be your new home. Can you tell us why? Because I thought you was going to say Uganda, but now you're going to Kenya? And I've been there twice. It was it's almost country. Uganda. I was actually a couple of years ago engaged to a Ugandan broadcast journalist. She was on national TV, and uh, that didn't seem to work out in the long run. But I tell you... Being a handsome brother, <laughs> I can go to Africa and find just some absolutely wonderful, delightful, bright, brilliant people everywhere I go. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of them want to get with a brother from the diaspora. We just got to know how to treat them and treat their families. And so I am now pointing my future towards Kenya. I want to go to Africa. I want to have children born on the continent, which will give them full citizenship. And for, for Kenya, for so many reasons. For one, um, investment opportunities in Kenya are brilliant. Traditional African medicine is something I'm very interested in. And I have a collaborative partner over there, and we're just looking to take over a lump sum of funny, of money, not funny money, but real money, and invest in an equity position in her company. Her company is fantastic. Kenya, the city Nairobi, many people say Nairobi is their favorite city. I've been to Accra. I've been to Addis Ababa. I've traveled through Lagos, Abidjan, and others, not really staying there. But beyond a shadow of a doubt, Nairobi is my favorite city. And when you travel, I first went there in 2014. I've been back now. I went there again in 2022. Was it 20? No, 2022 I went back. And let me tell you, Nairobi's construction in 2014 we saw their their commercial construction and when i went back i saw the residential construction is phenomenal the cost of living a good life in a beautiful home in kenya is awesome and also in the last trip that's the first leg of the transcontinental 
high-speed railway system, the SGRs, that's been completed between Nairobi and Mombasa. So I took that train and spent a couple of days in Mombasa, and it was awesome. Been on safari in Kenya. It's just so much that they have to contribute. I want our people to start looking to the east. Last one, I have to say this, Carl. Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi, South Sudan, and now the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and as of the end of this month, Somalia are all now members of the East African community. And in 2027, they will be the East African Federation. Two more countries are scheduled to join them. And those are Ethiopia and Djibouti. Carl, that will form the third most populous nation on Earth. Africa will have its first superpower state in 2027. And don't you know, the Western countries know this, and they're very frightened about that possibility that now the Africa has a superpower sitting on the Security Council of the United Nations. Yeah, it looks good for Africa. And those folks who are listening, make this, make this, put this on your bucket list. If you haven't been to Africa, make sure that before you check out that you go home and, and just pick any African state. I know many folks are listening. We got a lot of listeners in Ghana, Nigeria, South Africa who listen to us all the time. And there's, there's not just expats. Those are actually, uh, the, uh, natives of those countries and, and they, they understand what we're doing and what we're saying and they appreciate it. So a shout out to them today. Brother Keaty, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all this information with us this morning. This Thursday morning, special morning for some folks. How can, again, real quick, how can folks reach you if they want to get more information? The most exciting things are at livingsuperfood.com, where you secure your health, where you can be like me. Carl, I'm a 60-year, 8-year young man. In the last four days, I've done 300-plus push-ups in my first set of the day. I've done that four times, three times in the last four days. So I'm on a roll. So I want to teach you how to do this as well. But for this future that we're developing, it's called panafricanstudy.com. Please do sign up. Join the course. It's eight weeks long, and it's such a nominal fee. I'm almost not even charging you. But I have to put something on it to make people get serious about what they've signed up for, panafricanstudy.com. And I look forward, Carl, always to your and my conversations. We black and we shine. That's right. Thanks, Brother Keaty. Folks, and we're out of here. Have a great day, though. Stay strong. Stay positive. Please stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 6 o'clock, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power.